I'm Jason Sylvia, and this is The Creative Capital Show. A show about creative people and how those creative people turn into entrepreneurs by taking their creativity and turning it into a business and facing all the trials and tribulations along the way. Fashion and style. One, a form of self-expression. The other, a combination of distinctive features. Then there's the fashion industry. And while this industry has made clothes more affordable than ever, at a blindingly fast pace, there is a cost. And that cost is that the fashion industry produces 10% of all of humanity's carbon emissions and is the second largest consumer of the world's water supply. But What if we saw clothing as having a cyclical life cycle? And what if this view could be used to solve some of the problems within the fashion industry? And on top of that, what if fashion could be used to create and serve a community? Well, this episode's guests, Charlotte Von Meister and Danielle Sturm, did just that when they created The Nest, a secondhand showroom and gathering space with a mission to elevate and incubate sustainable style. But The Nest and this episode is about much more than clothes. It's an episode about community, self-expression, the desire to change an industry, finding the ideal business partner, taking a huge risk, and finally creating a place for people to connect. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the story of The Nest. And Danielle, thank you for coming on the show. Hey, you're welcome. We are we are sitting in the the Nest PVD, mm-hmm. uh, your establishment. But for anybody that hasn't been here, or anybody that's outside of Providence and listening to the show, which by the way, thank you. And if you're inside of Providence listening to the show, well, this is from anywhere. Thanks. Um, but for those not familiar <laughs> with the Nest, uh, who are you and what do you do? Like, what, what would be the elevator pitch? of this place and what you do. Yeah. We call ourselves a secondhand style collective, which means a lot of different things because we do a lot of different things. Yeah. Do you want to get, do you want to give the pitch? You're the best at it. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Um, So we are the nest. We are a secondhand store. So we curate secondhand fashion, furniture, homewares. We also have a selection of handmade items from like local vendors here in Providence um, and around the area. So we sell things out of here. They're either secondhand handmade or upcycled and we're also a community space so we host different workshops and events that are either highlighting or hosted by local makers designers small businesses in the area Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a place for people to come in feel inspired to shop secondhand know that they don't need to follow the fast fashion trends necessarily you can find good style um, from existing material and product and then also a place for people to come in learn something connect with your community um, and yeah it's mostly about education connection and looking good while doing it (laughs) would you say it's also about fashion it's a yeah. lot about fashion. So fashion would be like one of the core things at 
what this place is and what yeah. you both do. I think though, when we talk about fashion, a lot of it is about like being unique and having mm-hmm. your own identity. Like Charlotte and I, one of the reasons both of us love fashion is because it's helped us grow and be more confident in ourselves. And we think that using fashion for anyone that comes into our space or anyone that interacts with the nest um, is finding their own sense of fashion to make them feel better and more confident in their life, which we've slowly seen our community kind of take on that um, and move forward. So. Yeah. Yeah. And not only is fashion a tool for self-expression and authenticity, um, sort of my experience and how I ended up here was I had worked in the fashion industry for a bunch of years. And the more I was able to see behind the curtain and see how things were really done and how things were manufactured and what employees were treated on, treated how they were treated on all different levels of, you know, the the whole cycle of the product, um, it's extremely toxic and it's very, very wasteful and it's really shocking the more you learn about it. So for for us here, we're trying to um, offer a really beautiful, curated, stylish collection of secondhand garments, style, fashion, shoes, bags, everything. Um, so people feel that they don't need to go and buy new necessarily and add to that toxic cycle of just like constant consumerism and constant new material and new, new products being pushed out on an annual basis. Um, um, but know that they can find good style from, yeah, like I said before, secondhand existing material. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good segue into this first question I have, which would be, um, and Danielle, I'll start with you. Uh, what is your history with with fashion and style? Because um, I had read that, you know, while like your wardrobe, which, and I'm definitely seeing it, nobody can see what I'm actually talking about, but like <laughs> it's a very eclectic, very wild outfit. Um, but you had said that before, you know, you, you wore a lot of black, um, to avoid like attention and judgment. Um, you had trouble finding clothes in your size, uh, things of that nature. So can you walk like, uh, cause I think going through this part first, then talking about the business will, uh, kind of give it more of a backstory, which I think will be, um, for the betterment of anybody listening to this. Can you go through just your history with fashion and style, like up until the the business? Yeah. So like everything before that, basically. Yeah. Um, so if anyone's listening from my childhood, it's so funny. I think no one would look at me and be like, oh, she loves fashion growing up. Um, and that's because I wasn't able to express myself fashion wise. I grew up in the Midwest. Chicago, um, outside of Chicago, right? Yes, outside of Chicago. I grew up with a single father. Um, I played a lot of sports and there was nowhere to go shopping for clothes for a plus size girl, a plus size woman. Um, also things that were affordable. So we'd go to like Kohl's or Target or Walmart and either I'm finding things that everyone already has that I've seen other people wearing at school or I'm finding things that can't even fit me. So my whole life I kind of was like pushed into this box of not being able to find clothing that I could afford or wear, which led to me wearing things that were like from my sports teams, wearing a lot of black. Once I got into high school and was able to have my own car, I would start going to thrift stores. And that's when I, I, my love of like thrifting and antiquing was from like my childhood, childhood, my parents taking me there. But once I got my own car, I was like, oh, I can go to the thrift store down the street whenever I want and look through things. It was still really hard to find 
anything that fits plus size people. And that's one of kind of the missions we have here is to be able to offer fashion for anybody of any size, um, because there's still a lack of that even in the industry today that's affordable plus size clothing. Um, so through high school, still was wearing a lot of black. Because the other thing is I also was not confident in myself. I think a lot through the fashion industry and through media, um, plus size people are put down. They're not seen as pretty or beautiful. And that's something a lot of people take into their inside, into their being. Um, once I got to college, I think I was very lucky because I also am not a very shy person. So I always had that in my head. But at a certain point, I was like, fuck it. Like, I am hot. I am yeah. beautiful. I'm going to find clothes that make me feel that way. Um, and I was just talking to Charlotte the other day. Um, we're very into the, the, this is getting to our business a little bit, but we're very into the idea of like slow fashion mm -hmm. and like doing things slowly. And I was telling her about how a lot of the clothes I have that I'm pulling out, like I've had for years and um, I haven't worn, but at a certain point, I'm like, you know what, This it's time to wear this, but it's taken me a long time to kind of cultivate my closet to a point where I can know I can go into it and be like, I feel comfortable wearing all this. I can make all these different outfits with it, but it's taken me those years. And I think a lot of people are in this mindset of like, I need to feel good and look hot now, and I need to go find something at the mall. And I think that's where a lot of people fall into this trench of nothing fits me. I don't feel good. I have really bad self-esteem at this point because I can't right away get that like feeling of... Um, uh, instant gratification. Instant gratification. So I think that's just one thing I talk to a lot of people, especially plus size people of like, wear what makes you feel good, wear it as much as you want, and it will start to show kind of in your being. Um, so through college, I started building up that like still, th I was thrifting all the time, filling up clothes, finding clothes. You're a collector. I am a collector. <laughs> and I, uh, before starting The Nest, um, I got to a point, so that was very, very toxic. Charlotte would be mad at me, but um, my closet got too big. Like, it was huge. It was overflowing. I had all these beautiful pieces, especially plus size, which a lot of people are looking for, I think, um, as cute, like, plus size clothing. So I started reselling my clothing um, on Depop and on Instagram and on eBay, and I found that there was, like, a market for people looking for stylish, like, styled plus size clothing. Um, and um, then I started going out and finding clothes and reselling them. And that slowly led into not just clothes and home goods and, um, kind of furniture as well. Mm -hmm. But that's what led me into, um, half a year ago when I met Charlotte. And, <laughs> and Danielle, I just want to call this out. Danielle said that I would be mad at her cluttered closet because I'm a professional organizer. I want to go into that because... <laughs> Not because have... I'm a brat. No. <laughs> How dare you? Sorry. No, she's making me better. <laughs> so... I'm glad you said that. Not the how dare you part, but the <laughs> professional organizer part, because you had a bit of a different experience with fashion. Um, you grew up in New Jersey. I did, yeah. And you eventually, and I um, would like to hear about this, you had, a, you had a history with the fashion industry actually working in the industry. Mm -hmm. You were in the belly of the beast, so to speak. So what was that perspective? What kind of jobs did you have in the fashion industry? I think one of them was like anthro anthropology, anthropology. I hope anthropology. I anthropology. There that you was, go. Yeah, I was a sales associate. I can't anthro. pronounce things. Um, <laughs> Just call it anthro. There we it's go, anthro. Uh, that sounds like a disease. That sounds like anthrax. <laughs> I know. <laughs> or, like, or, a good, or, a good, or a good metal band or a good anthrax cover band. Anthro. We're anthro. 
anthrax cover band <laughs> anthropology's like anthropology no. yeah anthropology is like having an identity crisis right or, now as you hear or, this <laughs> or a anthrax cover band but everybody in the band wears stuff exclusively from anthropology <gasps> that'd be hilarious that, that is it's that's so such contradicting, contradicting yeah. too yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you knew their style it's all like stained black and ripped up and, it's all and just ultra and, feminine wear yeah, and, just, and just and just belting out anthrax songs Whoever needs a good idea for a cover uh, band, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Anth- we're, we're Anthro, the anthropology-clad anthrax yep. cover band. Yep. Playing at dusk soon. Anyway. I think you're onto something I, there. I, I, I can't play anything, but if somebody wants to take that idea, I'll be their manager. That's you're fine. the ideas man. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just the guy. I'm the guy getting a reference to a previous episode. Uh, another no, not even a previous episode. I've recorded so many episodes that are not out yet. Now I'm making references to stuff that doesn't exist. Anyway. <laughs> Edit that out. Nope. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it in so, so everybody's like, what the hell is he referencing? I want to know now. Yeah. Stay tuned. <laughs> but what was, so what was your professional history with, with the fashion industry? Cause I, cause I think you have a unique perspective that eventually led to this business, but yeah. what was your history with the fashion industry? How did you, how did you get in? Um, you know, did you have a perception of it was going to be one way and then you're in there working and it's a whole different way. You were mentioning oh, some things yeah. earlier. So can you, can you walk yeah. the listeners and yeah. through that? It was um, a journey for sure because I wanted to work in fashion from a really young age. I discovered secondhand style and vintage shopping when I was in high school. And before that, I always did musical theater and I loved the costuming. And when I first went to college, I thought I wanted to study film, but then I realized I was more attracted to costume design. So I switched and studied fashion marketing and management. And the whole idea was to work in the fashion industry, wear like stiletto heels and a hot pantsuit to work, have a corner office, be an executive. So like some Devil Wears Prada exactly. type, of, type of aspirations Exactly. There. That's what I was picturing for myself. And get, then get, when- Get you on a winter on? Yeah. And I was working at anthropology throughout like high school and college. And that's sort of where it started. And then when I graduated college, I moved to New York and started working. I worked at two different um, startup fashion brands. One was a lingerie brand. One was a bridal company. Um, And when I actually got into the industry and learning about not only the production and the manufacturing side of the business, but then also how it's an industry that never sleeps. People want it all the time. Like the stock market closes on the weekend, but fashion is like constant. And especially with Amazon and, you know, mass toxic consumerism now everyone wants it now and more immediate and it's not two-day delivery it's one-day delivery same-day delivery it's just i think i read zara was like and they use this as like a point of pride in their brand just to add to that like i read somewhere that like they can see something on a runway show and then within 48 hours because they've they've got like their manufacturing process and everything is so streamlined 48 hours from saw it on the runway they'll have their version of it Mm -hmm. in all of their stores all over the world in like 48 hours, yeah. which is insane. Well, because Zara owns their own production facility. And so they, whenever they see it, their designers can just immediately push it through mm-hmm. production because they can always prioritize what they need to get done because it's yeah. right. their own business. Um, yeah. And I think that's another side, briefly, another side of the fashion industry that people don't think about. There's so many intellectual property lawsuits between these designers, like oh, showcasing, actually creating thing. things on the runway. Yeah. And then, you know, some fast fashion brands are replicating it and just changing it just enough so they can get away with or- it. Even um even uh, crazier would be like people making stuff on Etsy or Instagram and then they like, get followed like by this big brand thing and like oh I'm like maybe they like my stuff and I'm gonna get a job and then all of a sudden they find their own thing knocked off 
and it's just like, well, what are you going to do? Lawyer up? Cool. Like, we got to yeah. arm your lawyers. What are you going to do about yeah. it? And then you have to, like, sometimes they have to sit and take it, which sucks. Yeah. 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 And so through my experience, and one thing that I kept hearing over and over again, like, I would be treated not well. Like, it was definitely a toxic work environment, for sure, at a bunch of different places. And what I just kept hearing echoed from all of the people above me were like, I had to do this too. Like almost like it was a rite of passage. Like you are being treated this way because like that's how I experienced it when I was younger. It's just like making excuses of like, I had to do this, so you have to do it too. Or like, this is fair because this is just the way things are done. And that just didn't feel... I love how like that's acceptable in one industry, but if you did that in another industry, they'd be <laughs> like, there's the door, get, get the hell out. Yeah, yeah. And so that was honestly really heartbreaking because I always loved fashion and it, it was a tool from a very young age for me to be able to express myself when I didn't know necessarily had to do that like socially like I could just put on an outfit and it said what I needed people to know about me in a sense and so leaving that industry was a, a hard decision but I completely went in the opposite direction and became I, a professional I became a professional organizer. organizer so instead of pushing all of this product and things onto people. Um, instead, I was helping them declutter and find more intention in what they choose to keep in their home and what they choose to surround themselves with. And ultimately, like how you move forward as a consumer. Um, and a lot of the sessions, there's this shock factor to it where they'll see everything that they have. We'll take out Laid everything out, from their yeah. closet. And like, I, I'm certified in the KonMari method, Marie Kondo. And so it's like, you take everything out and you put it in a big pile and you have to hold everything. Um, and there's a big shock aspect and shock factor to that when people see actually how much the quantity that they have after a session you think twice about how you shop and how you consume um, and it changes yeah it changes your trajectory as a consumer going forward um, and so that was always really validating but I missed fashion I missed style and I found a really um, circular side to the business because when I was doing these closet consultations and decluttering people's closets. They had a lot of really beautiful items that they didn't want to wear anymore, but still had a lot of life to give. And they were like, I don't necessarily want to like give this away or donate. Like I want to try to resell it. I don't know where to go. And so it just made a lot of sense for me to then resell their clothes for them. So I started doing clothing resell on the side, which was my way back into the fashion industry without actually working in the fashion industry. Um, and yeah, so I kept doing professional organizing, doing decluttering services. And then also I had a side of my business where I was reselling fashion um, from their closets as well. And then Danielle and I met and we had so much in common when it came to loving secondhand and the treasure hunt and sourcing. And both of us wanted to expand beyond just clothing. We wanted to get into furniture and homewares mm -hmm. as well. Um, and so we united and created the nest. Mm -hmm. So before we get into that, mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I think it's, it is an interesting story um, on on your end of it was something that you were passionate about, right? That you that you were like, oh, fashion as a way of and style as a way of self expression. You really want it, and then you went and the you you achieved the dream, so to speak. And then you're like, oh, I really don't want to be here. Like this is not what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And then coincidentally, like your experience was, oh, hey, I like these. I like I like the idea of fashion and style, but it's not for me, mm -hmm. or it's not it's not being made with me in mind. And the reason why I'm I'm saying those two things, uh, before we get into, and I, I promise everybody we will. I'm just trying to <laughs> set this up correctly. Um, uh, before we get into this, like just on the fashion industry in general, because I know you both have some very strong and very um, 
I want to say insider info, but I think stuff that maybe the average person like doesn't know when it comes to the industry. So one thing that I've heard both of you mention um, in previous interviews, videos and stuff like that is that uh, the fashion industry is the second most wasteful industry in the world behind, I think like the oil and gas industry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, from your own knowledge, you know, like having like an outsider view and insider view, what are the ways that it is and why is it that way? And like, why does it continue to be that mm. way? Cause it seems like it's just like, all right. Yeah. Yep. And then it's like, are we going to do anything about it? It's like, no, <laughs> I think, uh, as to break it down as consumers, we just think about the product during its life with us when it's in our possession. We don't think about where it came from. We don't think about where it's going afterwards. The fashion industry is so toxic because not only are the ways that they're manufacturing and dyeing and creating these fabrics, a lot of fabrics now are made out of plastic, the dyeing that goes into it, the runoff waste, these uh, these communities, these towns that the production facilities are located in are just being environmentally destroyed by the manufacturing of our garments of fashion. And then on the other end, again, now that more clothes is clothing is being made out of plastic, when we don't want it anymore and we either donate it or some people just throw it out, it goes and sits in a landfill or it gets shipped overseas to another country's, like an African country's local textile and apparel market and it floods their industry. And then because it's really shitty quality, it just ends up in their landfill Mm. and then it doesn't break down for years. So it's not just like when we own a product, it's where did it come from and where is it going? It's correct me if I'm wrong. Like it seems like not not every brand, but like um because there's two there's actually two sides to this to this question I'm gonna ask. First side is um Danielle, I think it was you're the one who were that you were saying uh in a previous video I saw on your site that you found out when you found out that um pieces by like the fast fashion type brands, like they're made to like basically rip or tear apart yep. or whatever. And I've I've experienced that. Like after four wears you're like, yeah. I'm like now I'm pissed. What um from both of your perspectives, why why do you think that is? Because before, like, because it seems like before, um, and why I mean before, like years ago, or like talking about like my parents, and my grandparents, like you would buy investment pieces. You can now. I mean, it's not like there there aren't brands that don't like that do that, but um, you would buy investment pieces. You would go to a tailor, mm-hmm. right? Like you would wear mm-hmm. stuff. Um, not necessarily utilitarian. Like people still had style back then and things like that, but it was just more of like the idea of like you kept things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. And I'm gonna to get to the flip side in a moment, but why do you th- like? What, do you think there was like a? Do you think this is like a United States thing? Do you think this is happening all over? Do you think it's like a cultural thing that changed? Like, wasn't an evolution? Because I think that part is interesting too. Is like yeah. we went from, you know, invest statement pieces and handing stuff down and having stuff that lasts for a while to, hey, we're gonna make stuff and we, we know we're gonna make it. It's gonna and it's gonna fall apart mm-hmm. and in four ways. Whereas before that would be like bad for a brand. Now it's like that's the yeah. cost of doing yeah. business, which. I think these brands yeah. have gotten to a point where they're <clears throat> even just talking about like Zara being able to see something on a runway and get it on a shelf in two weeks. Like, you know, that that's going to be made not in a way that's going to be able to withstand anything because of how quick it was made. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of fashion, <clears throat> excuse me, please edit that out. <laughs> Bless you. Um, I think a lot of fashion companies have cr- like, they have found this perfect like formula because of the internet of being able to push trends on consumers. And I really think we talk about style trends Mm -hmm. all the time and like micro trends and these companies are able to 
show consumers what they should be wearing. And I think that's where a lot of people are feeling left out and behind of like, I've seen these celebrities and I've seen people, influencers on social media wearing this type of style. I need to buy it now. Mm -hmm. It's cheap. They can buy it now. And the reason it's cheap is because it is going to fall apart. But it gives these people the satisfaction, these consumers the satisfaction to have it and be able to look like who they aspire to be or who they aspire to feel like. Um, But that clothes is going to, that clothes then falls apart but the, they don't understand that these um, big retailers are now putting new trends on them. So it's just this toxic cycle of marketing, of people being able to keep up with trends and cycles that are really being started by the companies that are and making the And then sometimes clothes. people don't even wear them. They just wear them to like Take flex on yes. Instagram and then yeah. they don't never wear that's it again. Exactly, so it's like, yeah. that's a whole other like, on you one, bought it for one picture. Totally. That on is what one, people are doing too. Yeah. That is On like, one they, end, it's these fashion companies cutting corners the quality is a lot lower because they don't necessarily want it to last forever. Mm-hmm. If you're shopping from a brand that is actually proud of the quality of the product, they'll have some sort of like buyback program or recycling program. Because I want to get into that late, yeah. late, later on in this interview because I got some questions so about that. Because they feel so confident that it's not going to ha- that they won't have to use that program very much because they they are sure of the quality of their product whereas a lot of these fast fashion brands they just want it to be as cheap like cost effective as possible and Mm so there's actually a stat i was reading this book where the weight of like a cotton t-shirt from the 90s is heavier than the weight of a cotton t-shirt today because they are just making fabrics even thinner Mm -hmm. and it it literally falls apart in a few washes but then on the other end social media has taken over all of our lives and to what you were saying is people just want something to be photographed in. It doesn't mm-hmm. even need to last them for, for years or months. It just needs to last for that one photo and then they can take it off. Now, now what are your thoughts on the flip side of it? And what I mean by the flip side is like, there are companies that, and I would say more of, how I say recent, like from the nineties, more so in the two thousands, but the nineties to now, at least in one area of, of fashion and style, which would be streetwear, like the idea of exclusive sneakers. We're only going to make like a couple hundred. And then like, we're still using like, it's not like high end. We're just made a couple hundred, just artificial scarcity. So there's like the artificial scarcity. So on one hand, we have like too much. Then there's the artificial scarcity. And um, if you're not into streetwear sneakers, then maybe um, the other area would be like Louis Vuitton or these high, these higher end luxury brands, which they'll, if something doesn't sell, like they don't put it on clearance, they'll intentionally like cut it mm-hmm. so that way nobody can like resell it or flip it or or ever do anything ever again. And um, it's about their brand reputation yeah. because and then, they it, then it just goes want, nowhere. It's like, well, yeah. then what do you like? What are they so like? Why is that? So on the one hand, we have too much, but then can you go into or like have? What are your thoughts on like the artificial scarcity or like destroying stuff to protect the brand? I think it's bullshit. Well, yeah. I mean, yes, but <laughs> I think. They don't want someone with a lower income to be representing their brand, which is really shitty mm-hmm. at the core. Um, and I think it also goes into projections of uh, manufacturing as well. I think that over 
overproduction is happening in every single brand. There's so much being thrown out. I saw it as my as my time as like a sales associate in high school and college. Like so much is torn up and thrown out. So much is sitting in the sales section forever. I just think that too many styles, too many products are even being manufactured on a on a regular basis. Um, and that was one thing that I felt working in the fashion industry is just the overwhelm of how much is being produced on a yearly basis. And like, where is it all going? Literally, where is it all going? And so these brands just end up incinerating or destroying things because they don't know there's just too much. Mm -hmm. There's too much. Mm -hmm. I, when I think about like artificial scarcity on like a lot of those streetwear brands, like I think that's just great marketing. Like you could be doing like social, like you could be doing social media marketing and pushing all these styles and trends on people. But if you have a brand that people resonate with so much, um, like let's say sneakers and you do that and you're selling out like good, good for you. That's great. I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, I think it's better to sell out than to overproduce Overproduce. and then have to slash and throw out what you don't sell. Exactly. And I mean, we're in like the reselling business for part two. So like that's, I'm like, good for you. If you can grab those and make money off them and sell them to someone else, like your your own little entrepreneur. (laughs) So, so, So you, you have no problem with like, um, the, the arbitrage, the flip of either hype or, or luxury. Considering that you're both in that business. I don't think so. I'm very against like, but I wouldn't buy it new. That's the thing. Like I wouldn't buy that new, but there is people that do that and that's how they make their living. And like, I don't see anything wrong with that. I'd rather have like brands doing that than overproducing things that they don't know are going to sell and then it lose, like losing. I I got a question about Mm -hmm. that for much later. Mm -hmm. So just hold that just because Mm -hmm. something I've noticed (laughs) um, and I want to get your thoughts on, but that's going to be later. Yes. But move. All right. So. You both have your history with fashion and style, very different histories, very strong opinions about the fashion and style industry. And, you know, Chicago, uh, New Jersey, respectively, how did you both end up in Rhode Island and how did you both meet? Because I read that the idea for The Nest, um, so how did you, uh, and actually, how did you both end up in Rhode Island? How did you both meet? And I think it was over dinner that you yeah. came up with the idea you really for the nest? did your research <laughs> i i try i try um and why the nest so like how did you get here how did that dinner happen and then why the name yeah. the nest like how did that all come about i, I can go first yeah. so i ended up in rhode island so right after high school um my stepsister decided to go to johnson and wales for culinary because she wanted to be a culinary nutritionist um i had no clue what i wanted to do i knew i wanted to maybe go far away and i was like you know what maybe i'll just follow you out to rhode island like i didn't know anyone at the time that's ever been to rhode island it was very like on a whim like that sounds cool ended up going to johnson wales for my undergrad which was sports entertainment and event management um i ended up getting my mba at johnson wales as well just kind of like went right through on a four plus one program. Um, and then I was planning on maybe moving back to Chicago, maybe moving somewhere else. I wanted to work in like the music events industry, which I am so glad I did not with the (laughs) pandemic at that point and making Mm -hmm. it my whole life. Um, I got a job at a startup in Providence when I was still doing my um, master's degree and it was a startup in the medical technology industry. And it wasn't just a company and like startup in the medical technology industry. It was a business accelerator and incubator. Um, so pretty much I helped start a, it was, we had a nonprofit arm, we had an LLC arm. So I had like background and learning how to grow both those types of businesses. Um, I was partnered with the state of Rhode Island to really grow and show 
that Rhode Island was a place to start your med tech company and we were competing with Boston. So it was really like interesting and fun to be able to grow that industry and figure out networks and advisors and companies and like all the resources companies need to grow. And that's where I learned a lot about building businesses and building startups in like a very hardcore industry. Um, and I was there for three and a half years when um, I met Charlotte through my coworker. Mm-hmm. So I ended up moving to Providence. Um, well, I actually went to high school in Rhode Island, so I've always felt that this was home in some sense. Um, and then when I went to college, I went to college down in Savannah, Georgia, and completely separate from my high school experience, all of the, my best friends that I made down there were from Rhode Island, born and raised Rhode Island. So I just kept finding myself pulled back here. And every time I would come to visit Rhode Island, I really loved the community that I was meeting, the people, the friends that I was making. I loved the way that I felt whenever I came here, the version of myself that I was able to be when I came to Rhode Island. So. Um, actually at the start of the pandemic, I was living in Los Angeles, but then I couldn't afford to live in LA anymore because I was working as a professional organizer and couldn't go into people's homes. So I had to move back to New Jersey, move in with my parents, had, you know, an identity crisis, an entrepreneur crisis, just like living at home with my parents over the summer of 2020 and decided that I needed to move out. I was like, where do I go next? And Rhode Island seemed like a very obvious place to be. And so I moved here uh, like end of September 2020 and almost immediately Danielle and I were connected through my good friend from college. Um, Their family was Danielle's coworker and boss. And And so through my mutual friends, huge reason why I moved up to Rhode Island was this family was Danielle's colleagues and coworkers and boss. And so we met each other um, pretty soon after I moved here, but it was always sort of like- we- Everyone kept being like, have you gotten together yet? Have yeah. You guys, like, what, like, have you gotten coffee yet together? Because we had, they were like, you guys have so many similarities. And it took us a while. We'd always run into each other. We'd be like, someday. Yeah, yeah we, would, someday. we would run into each other and be like, we should go to an estate sale together. Like almost like that plan <laughs> that you know is never going to happen. But like, sure, it's nice to talk about. We were just like distant friends would see each other around. And then um, Danielle, was doing Groovy Babe, her online resale, mid-century modern resale, and I loved what you were doing, and I was doing the same thing between my professional organizing and then my closet resale, Um, and I wanted to grow my brand and start expanding, and so I approached Danielle about doing a booth share together at the Providence Flea Market, Mm -hmm. and so we sat down. We just decided to get a dinner, like, let's sit down and actually talk about logistics, what that would look like, and the moment we actually sat down and had a conversation, both of our ambition and passion and ideas just flooded and just came pouring out of both of us, and... It, that was basically it. Uh, we were like, yeah. let's not do a flea market together. Let's think, like start something let's start together. Something. <laughs> I think the biggest thing was Charlotte just moved here. I was um, kind of transitioning out of a job where I was like, what am I going to do next in Rhode Island? When the pandemic hit with my job, I was at a point where I'm like, I need to find something that makes me a little happier just in my day to day. I'm like, what could we do? And I think one of the things we connected over was making like Rhode Island and Providence somewhere like we wanted to be because mm-hmm. I would find myself I am like a, a very go 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 like I love having plans I love going out I love doing new things meeting new people and I would find myself going to Boston all the time for like music and for 
for events and for things. And all my friends moved there. And I was like, you, like with Charlotte, we were like, why don't we create something that I don't have to go anywhere. I can just create what mm-hmm. I want to do every day yeah. and night and events that I would want to go to and put them on ourselves. And I think that was one of the biggest things, like creating a community that we yeah. want to be in and meet new people and, and attract people yeah. that were interested in the same things as us. And both through. of us not being from Rhode Island originally, community and connection was a huge part of the nest when we first started out. We mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that it was a place where like we could meet, meet like-minded people and then also for others in the community um, could find connection as well. So from so from the jump, it wasn't just, hey, let's have a vintage store or thrift mm-hmm. store. It was, hey, let's have a store that sells vintage and thrift, but let's also do events. Let's yeah. also do this. Let's also do that. So the, from the jump, it, it, it wasn't it, just one business model. No, it was no. multiple things. The original idea was, hey, let's find a storage unit together that has good light so we could take photos to sell things online through our Instagram. It was really just the original idea was for us to get together and share lease on some space where we could use it as storage for like bigger items because we wanted to expand into furniture and stuff. We could use it as storage and then also use it oh, as so like the a idea photo of studio was, space. Was there from the get go too? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Both and of us wanted to unite so that when we, we could expand. When and, we united with yeah. each other, we knew like furniture is one of the like when we sell furniture like that keeps the business going we're, we're sitting on the furniture right now mm-hmm. doing this podcast we're sitting on so. a gold velvet sectional from 1972 which was a me and charlotte have this thing where we just talk out loud about what we want to find and then we find it and this was one of those i wanted a built-in velvet sectional mm-hmm. and then we found this built-in velvet sectional <laughs> We, we manifested yes. this sectional. But furniture was like the big thing. So we talked about all these things. We talked about community. Um, we like laid out pretty much like a business plan, but we didn't know it at the time. And then we went out and started looking for storage units together like a week later. And we were yeah. looking for a storage unit, looking for a storage space. Found this building, which mm-hmm. is so funny because it's right now. Like this is, this is the middle... I was going to say, can you, from our apartment. Yes. Can, can you describe this this spot because um, it's next to an establishment called Ogie's, Ogie's which, Trailer Park, which is which is a very nice bar and has has some great food too. Yep. It is. It's like the watering hole of this neighborhood. Mm. It's an institution. It's the it, perfect. I, it's been. It was my college bar, yeah. and now I'm just now I'm and, there all the time. And <laughs> we love being next to them. And you're next to the bar in mm. a warehouse space on the second floor. So yep. how did you find out about the space? I know you said it was a block from like. We found it on Craigslist. Apartment. So both go. of us. Us when we were going to look for a storage studio space, we're looking everywhere, Craigslist, you know, et cetera, we, looking. We didn't think that we'd be able to find anything in Providence. We were looking in Cranston and Pawtucket. And so when we found this building listed on Craigslist, there were multiple units um, that were up for lease. So we came in and did just like a big tour of any open unit. And our landlord has been amazing, amazing. has been so amazing. There's, there's- places for rent in this There's, building still yeah it's a great place dm us if you yes. want if you want to meet Lindsay. <laughs> um but it was really us finding the space and seeing that we were able to afford something in providence in such a prime location next to ogie's trailer park in the mm. west end we both live in the west end we love this neighborhood sense of community like we said was so important and so i think it was this space itself that really really catapulted the idea of the nest being way bigger than just selling furniture and fashion mm-hmm. online was there anything in particular about this space that you were like yes this is the one so was when, it just the yeah. size when we, was it just uh, like yes the, i mean look at it <laughs> it, it is but but uh, to be fair we, I'm, I'm i'm seeing it with all the stuff all yeah. the design yeah, all, yeah, all the true. artwork you know what i mean like when it was just bare was like what, what about this yeah. was it, like yes this is the it was spot. the windows the windows oh okay it was there's the windows. eight huge windows in here 
just saying you can like look into Ogies mm-hmm. and look at the people yeah. like, partying in the One backyard. One of our windows looks onto the backyard. But um, they're on the east and west, so we get morning daylight and, and evening, which mm-hmm. like we take a lot of photos and we're like natural light. Like literally one of the things we were looking for was natural light just to make it easier for us. We don't need to get anything to set up for photos. Mm-hmm. Um, but literally when we walked in here, it was the lighting and we were just, and it, the size was, we were just like, this is, this was the most expensive unit we looked at. And of course he showed it to us first. first. So I think that's one thing I'd be like, don't maybe do that, but also don't look at the biggest would. one first, but <laughs> and, it, and you, you popped out not to, sorry, yeah. not to cut you off, but you also were like next day, Oh, we signed the lease. You the signed next the lease the next day, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's actually funny. We toured because the idea of, of this originally was just a storage unit, a photo studio, and so we'd actually and, toured and then, the and space then, with and the a third day. girl. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yep. we toured the space with a third girl who was sort of like in and out. Maybe I want to be a part of it. And then Danielle and I, the next day, we're like, we're signing the lease. Like, do you want to come with us? She was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm ready to take that leap with y'all right now. <laughs> It did happen really quickly. Yes. And speaking speaking of leaps, because I think with any business or any venture, right, you have this, there's that leap of faith. Was signing the lease the next day like the leap of faith yeah. moment? Like, oh, like I, nope, we're doing this. This is happening yeah. now. I looked at Charlotte. I think I told her. Even my my roommate uh, and good friend, and she's a big part of the nest. Mm-hmm. Sarah, she does everything that we need her to for us. Um, she's actually coming here to do a photo shoot later. <laughs> but um, love she, you, Sarah. Love you, Sarah. <laughs> she. Um, looked at me and she goes, Danielle, like you usually think about things a lot. Like you're not like you. So I'm say, what surprised. was this like for each of you individually? Was it like, yeah, like that's, or were we just like, oh crap? It was. I was very excited. Yeah. It was. I I felt so good about, it, and that's what I told her. Mm-hmm. I'm like, usually I don't do things like this, but I feel so good about this that it's we're gonna do it and we're gonna make it work. That yeah. was our. That was my like. Yeah. Reaction. Yeah, I was all for it, and this might sound a little. I don't know. hokey I don't even know what that word means it might sound a little hokey but um through my experience and my like training and professional practice being a professional organizer um specifically with the KonMari method it's all about learning to spark joy and what joy feels like and manifesting joy in other aspects of your life which is deep down understanding if something is feeling that it's like serving you or if it's time to let it go, if it's not quite right. And so I think through my experience, I really honed in on that like gut feeling. And so when this was all coming together and because again, Danielle and I, we were kind of like distant friends. We didn't even really know each other that well when we decided to sign a lease, but it all just like, it felt so right. I could feel that gut instinct that it was like a joy sparking venture and Mm -hmm. it was kind of no looking back. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so we signed the lease and got the keys May 1st and then spent the whole summer building everything, building, everything, building, everything. building the concept. Because again, at first it was just supposed to be a storage unit. And so then once we actually found the space, we realized it could be much bigger than what we originally thought. And so we spent the summer conceptualizing it, building it out, building out the space. Yeah. Um, building out the business plan. Yeah. So branding, <laughs> website. You know, starting a bit, you know, starting a business, especially something that gives you joy, that's creative. It's all well and good, but um, <laughs> things cost money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. like building out a space thing. How did you both find funding for for this? Was it out of your personal accounts? Were you like, I'm, all right, cashing in my savings? Did you get a business loan? Was it all of the above? Cashing in savings. I gotcha. Yeah. It was a huge leap of faith. Yeah. Yep. That this was going to work. Yeah. <laughs> and it was one of those things. I think I was in the – we. It, the reason we did this, I think it was just such a like weird, crazy, magical time of just everyone's lives because it was, what, a, a year and a half into the pandemic. I think a lot of people were going through that like 
I can't do what I've been doing like for the rest of my life anymore. I'm not happy. We don't know if we're going to go back to normal. We don't know what's going to be happening. And at that point, it was like, what makes me happy is starting my own thing. It might be the most scariest thing I've been doing, but I'd rather spend 10 times more energy making this work than at the time working for someone else and making something else work for somebody else that you don't really exactly so um yeah we both we self-funded it um after our opening we made back and prof like made profit off um i want to ask about that a little bit too of everything and we've just been reinvesting everything we've made back into the business yeah yeah, so it was definitely like our own savings as like overhead cost of actually building this out and getting it started. But since we've opened, we've made that money back that we put into it and we've just keep putting gonna, the money back into the business. How did, and how did you go about getting inventory? Because like this space is huge and it's filled. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not, not filled to the point where you can't walk around, but it's like, it's not like there's like yeah. a lot of big open spare space mm-hmm. um, and it's filled with. Clothes. You should see our back furniture and yeah, our basement boots, yeah. mirrors, and I, and I, even coming up here, I've seen like other furniture. I'm like, that's probably oh, the yeah, nest. That's yes. ours. Um, you know. So how how did you thank go you about- to our landlord for being so chill about that? <laughs> how did you go about the in? Like, did yeah. you like say, hey, we have this X amount of money put aside for inventory, and then there's like homers and all this other stuff. Like, mm-hmm. how did you determine? you know, all right, we're going to buy this much homeware. We're going to buy this much furniture. We're going to buy this much clothes. Was there like a plan in place? Like how'd you go about, you know, even budgeting for that? Or Mm -hmm. like, was it just more of like, it was find what you could find. Me and Charlotte are very, like our favorite part is finding everything Mm -hmm. that is like, we call it our treasure hunting. We haven't done it in a long time. It's really sad. We We should do everything else that is running a business. (laughs) Um, But me and her, that's our favorite thing. So we're like on Craigslist and Facebook yeah. and going to flea markets all summer. We yeah. would go into flea markets and it was really about like the deal. Like if we saw mm-hmm. something that we loved and we were at the point where we were like, we could flip this, mm-hmm. we would get it. If we didn't have like a budget for different like homewares and clothing. It yeah. honestly just kind of worked out. Yeah. And I think also when we first came together, both of us were doing resale so on our own. So lot. we had existing inventory and stock that we could put together. I think most of that was clothing, though. A yes. lot of the furniture, we've we've gone out and sourced since we've opened. Um, but you'd be surprised with, like, estate sales, flea markets. You can do a good bundle deal. And if you barter well, and if you also kind of know the right people cultivating relationships. Like, we met yeah. this one woman who runs estate cleanouts and we met her through Facebook Facebook marketplace. We reached out actually about this shelf. I was like, this is a beautiful shelf. And she let us come into this house that she was cleaning out that was literally decorated in the seventies and then nothing changed. And she let us pick through on our own and you just put everything in a pile and you're like, okay, X amount for the, all of this. Yeah. Um, so I would say budgeting with the inventory isn't the budgeting that we had to do was for like the actual build out of the space. Mm -hmm. Like we had a custom work bar commissioned and cabinetry and like the archway for our fitting room and just stuff, stuff like that we had to budget for. But when it, when it came to actually sourcing all of the inventory, that was like the fun and the easy and honestly the less expensive part. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of, um, the inventory and you were saying like, Hey, you know, we, that's like a thing that you want to keep you know get back into again because you're running Mm -hmm. the business but is like finding stuff and sourcing things right um so i have a question because i know some people who source certain things like uh especially things like sneakers like that's like that's my world that's what i'm into right but they'll they'll know like and when i say no it's it's a scary level of like they know what the tongue tag should look like for us a nike air jordan one 
um, between the years of 1999 and like mid 2000s versus like when 2006 they changed the font. Yeah. Like they'll know it to that like wow. level, right? Um, how much research do you both do or, or like, like, are there certain things that you research about like either certain types of clothing, certain types of brands, yeah. certain mm. types of furniture? Are there areas where like you don't know certain things? Or you're yeah. just like, Hey, I get it. Cause, cause it'll look good for the shop. Like how much research or work goes behind even before you go out trying to source yeah. things like, yeah. Oh, I know this brand. Like I know this type of dress is from this yeah. brand and it's real and it's not a knockoff or something like that. Yeah. Or I know this glass is worth $50 and this person's only selling it for 10. So I'm going to grab it. Yeah. I think clothing has been the easiest where we're able to look at things and be able to tell like that it's vintage or where it's from. You can look at the tags and mm-hmm. tell like what era it was made in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, with our clothing, it's not like we're not going and like researching every individual yeah. piece at this point. Cause we're also not vintage exclusively. Yes. We call ourselves a secondhand collective for a reason because mm-hmm. everything whether it be vintage or just like three years old we curate mm-hmm. all of it and I think for us when it comes to the curation and when we do go outsourcing and treasure hunting it is about it's the, it's the it's, style it's the style it's the curation because we feel and what we've heard from a lot of different people they don't go thrifting and they don't shop secondhand because you can almost you have to dig sometimes for the good stuff they don't know what's stylish they what's don't know cool. how it's gonna look in their house they don't know how it's, it's gonna it's look like in their house it's overwhelming or like lack of or lack of easy access to yeah. information to kind of like separate like the good the good yeah. from the, the just, objectively good yeah. from bad mm-hmm. I mean. or just being able to like visualize how yeah. certain pieces are gonna look in your space uh like curated in your way which i think we've had a great so you need to make the nest app where you can just use like ar on your phone and then like imagine this in your home (laughs) yeah like you can just like see like like okay here's this vintage piece now here's a picture of your living room and then like just drag it and resize it and be like okay look like that that's our next investment yeah Yeah. (laughs) i just want 10 percent of the uh, angel startup costs Trademark, 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 you're welcome. Um, With like furniture though, so the same with sourcing, we've gotten to a point where like people call us now and people come to us. So they'll be like, I like the other day, there's these two, when you head out. Look hey, at I those. dropped off some jackets here because I was like, yes. oh, they'll probably, they'll probably want them. <laughs> When you leave, look at that. We have two vintage couches downstairs I, I, right that, now. That was the couches I was yes. referencing. Yeah. And we just got a we got a message from somebody on Instagram, just like, "Hey, we love your store. My uncle's like, have it like getting rid of everything in his house. Like, do you want to come take these? Um, just because people understand our style and know what we like, mm-hmm. we have a lot of people coming to us. So like, that's I think where like yeah. we're not going out and sourcing anymore. We're like sourcing through what people yeah. bring to us, which yeah. has been great. Same with the state sales. We've gotten into like some underground. Like, we'll be able to go to state sales before mm-hmm. anyone else, just because we've met the right people yeah. and we're nice now that we're in the industry people think think to ask us yeah yeah the same with um there's like a few people like we'll get mid-century items and i'm like oh i know a guy like i'm gonna call him <laughs> he's gonna look at it and tell me exactly what it is well, <laughs> has there ever been like uh, not to get too much into it but has there ever been just like a really horrible or like weird one where it was like like oh like yeah come by to this thing and it's like oh this person oh, this used horrible. to be like a serial killer or like a <gasps> drug dealer or something has there ever been like weird stuff like that you've ever run into and you're like I'm going to get yeah. this piece, but then we need to get the hell out of here. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. What There's, are you thinking of? Nothing like specific, but always sometimes I'll go to like some things and I'm like glad we go together now because yeah. sometimes yeah, I would yeah. go by myself and I'm like, I shouldn't be here I by myself. I shouldn't be here by myself. <laughs> yeah. I remember or like they're to... trying to get rid of everything and then all of a sudden like the husband or and or wife or partner comes home and like they don't realize they were having an estate sale because they divorced them oh or some God, shit. I wish. Mm. That would have oh been like gosh. a The only thing that opera. it wasn't even like that 
dramatic or anything, but we did go clean out this one woman's house because she was getting divorced and she didn't want anything that her ex-husband had sat on. So she was getting rid of everything in her house and was like not being quiet about it either. Like, yeah. ugh, that was his favorite lamp. Like, take, I'll give it to you a deal. Like, take it away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing too. I'm trying to think. No, I think I, the only thing that I'm thinking of. The dead mice. When were, where were there dead mice? In the 70s house. Oh, yeah, there were dead mice. We're digging through and all of a sudden there's all these dead mice. (laughs) I went to go pick up these like mirrors from Facebook Marketplace and I show up and there's like Trump flags all over the house. And I was just like, I'm going to get in, take this mirror and get out. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) I want to talk about aesthetic and, you know, and speaking of aesthetics, there's there's no Trump flags here (laughs) in this store. (laughs) I mean, that'd be that'd be interesting if I walked in and saw that. It's like, oh, good, not like, what oh, I expected. Not, not what, what I was expecting. expecting. Not, not gonna have any opinion more than that. Just be like, was not expecting. Like, if I if I were to see, that, I'd be like, all right, that that of things I was expecting to see, that would not be one of them. Confusing. Yeah, I just now I don't know what to think. Um, but, but that is not the case here. No. Um, but the aesthetic here, you have some custom designed murals mm-hmm. on the walls. Um, you know, there, it's it, it is carefully curated. Yes. You know, and it's 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 thought out. Um and that also extends from the space and into your branding and into your website and even the way that um you do e-commerce, which I want to ask about in a little a little bit later. Uh it's almost like it's a mix of store but also like seeing the clothes in their natural habitat mm-hmm. almost as like or seeing the items in their natural habitat, which is which is kind of nice and mm-hmm. not every, you know, thrift or vintage place does that. This type of like having a certain t- like almost like intangible branding, almost like intangible like sense of um, look, was that planned from the get go, or is that more like evolutionary? Because it, it does spill into like the marketing, it does spill into mm-hmm. the website. So is that more of like a plant thing? Like, no, we're going for a certain look and a certain type. Because like there may be items that would be great, but I'm assuming that there are certain items that like they're hey they're great for somebody else they're not great for us. Mm. So like how like yeah like is there like a brand guideline that you like adhere to or something like that? It's really just up to the two of us what we think Think looks looks good, good. which is kind of scary, but also kind of I'm like yeah we're trying to ride on that I think strength. Yeah, but I think for us we we know we're not the first to ever do resale and we wanted to differentiate ourselves why are you coming to us versus any other thrift store or vintage shop in Rhode Island is because you like our style and you like our curation and you know that you trust our eye mm-hmm. so when you come in you will find something that you mm-hmm. like i think something um something we talked about before we opened was having a very highly curated like secondhand space like having people feel comfortable because we throw events in here as well like we wanted it to be not only can you buy the things and be able to see how it looks in your home but also warm and inviting for people that are in Mm -hmm. here hanging out and coming to events to be able to utilize it and see if like sit on the things and be able to understand if see if they like it yeah um we actually after we opened um we were even more highly curated. So like our shelves, like it would look like a shelf of like in your home, but we were getting the feedback that people were like, it looks so nice. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to touch it. 
Yeah. And we were like, please touch it. It's for sale. Like, you please go break it. Yeah. Maybe I didn't want to buy it. No, exactly. Like, it was, but we would, everything was like that. So slowly we've been like putting all our glassware in one area so you can see it all and touch it and actually buy it. We realized we were over curating. (laughs) Yeah. Because people were like, it's such a pretty like vignette. I don't want to ruin it. Yeah. It feels like a gallery and it's like, don't touch the thing. Yeah. I'm like, please. Exactly. People would come and they're like, am I allowed to sit on this? We're like, please. See, they're going to have flashbacks of like in their, their parents' home, their aunt and uncle's home, their grandma's home where it was like don't touch the sofa yep. yeah like they're gonna have that they're gonna have that horrible yeah <laughs> and on a on a on the other end as well we are trying to encourage people there's such a thrifting and secondhand shopping is such a culture but there are a lot of people who don't do it because they see secondhand as like used or dirty mm-hmm. and so for us we wanted to showcase our secondhand collection in a more elevated thoughtful curated way so it feels like you're receiving something like newer luxury even though it has had a life before it's been in your hands yep. but now it's gonna have a new life the skill of curation curation is defined as the selection and care of objects to be shown in a museum or to form part of a collection of art While this definition is accurate, I would argue curation is a skill. Charlotte and Danielle both talked about how their curation of clothing, furniture, and artwork for The Nest was a major key in the success of that business. So, learn from Charlotte and Danielle. The skill of curation is not just limited to fashion or art. Curation can be applied to different areas. You should curate your resume when applying for a job. You should curate your portfolio to show your best work. You should curate your social media accounts to make sure you are crafting a consistent brand message. At the end of the day, learn and utilize the skill of curation. Because once you do, you will show your best self to the world. So now, you know, speaking of events, your first event, um, this could be a multi-part question. Mm-hmm. So your first event was a clothing swap. Uh, if you could explain was to people, it? our first event was a resin workshop. Oh, mm-hmm. I thought it, I thought it was a clothing swap. That's okay. It okay. was the same month. Oh, okay. Well, we can right. talk about the clothing swap. Within the opening month, <laughs> there was a seminal event that was a clothing swap. If you could explain to the listeners what a clothing swap is, mm-hmm. that's the first part. Second part, um, not to get into you know gender labels or anything like that, but just being a guy. I've always noticed that even like growing up that that would be more of like clothing swap would be more of a feminine thing. Like the mm-hmm. only time I ever like quote unquote swap clothes is if I had like a crazy pair of like Jordans that were rare and then somebody else had like a rare pair and yeah. they're like, okay, you mm-hmm. want to trade or something like that. But like growing up, like the idea of a clothing swap, if you're a guy like that just wasn't a thing. Like, why do you think that is? Cause I think that's an interesting question to ask. That's interesting um, so question. that's, that's the second part. Mm-hmm. And then I'll get to the third part after you do those first two. So, Can you walk us through what a clothing swap is, why that was one of the first events, and then why that seems to not be a guy or or masculine oriented thing? Because that, like, that even to me, like, I understand why they happen, but I was like, huh, like you never you never see that in like male vintage clothing stores. Like that's never a thing. Do you want to talk about the clothing swaps? I can talk about the clothing swaps. Clothing swaps um, just seemed 
really obvious. We, we, we've been They're wanting to do it. It's part of our circular it. business it's model, too. Our, it's part of our business model. It's part of rehoming these things because you can have a dress that's in your closet for years and you don't wear it, but it's still good quality and it's cool style, but like it just doesn't look quite right or feel right on you. And so you want to get rid of it and want to make sure it goes to someone who's actually going to like love it and use it and wear it. Um, and so what better way to ensure that it's going to a good home than circulating it in the community. So it's a great opportunity for people to shed the excess from their own wardrobe um, while also finding cool new pieces. Cause something might feel so like old or last season to you. Cause you've had it in your closet for so long, but um, it can be brand new for somebody else. Yeah. Um, for the, if you're in stuff in the background, that, that whole idea of there's units being available, they're renovating them. So there you go. So <laughs> units are available what in this building. What you're hearing is uh, heavy machinery. <laughs> <laughs> um, for mail clothing swaps. So when we started them, we opened them up to everybody. And I don't, I think it's because our, like our, not even our target market, but a lot of our people that follow us and are part of our community are feminine women. Um, we are launching a menswear or extended styles line at the end of February to like open up. We've had a lot of people like, we want more mm -hmm. like masculine clothes. We talk to a lot of men about if they would want to do a clothing mm -hmm. swap and all of them are like, no, no, they don't have big enough closets. I think, I think like, cause I didn't know if it was like a cultural thing. If it was I, like a guy thing, if it was just like, I don't have I think, enough in my closet or I think, I think a lot of them just don't have a lot in their closet that they are coming to donate. We held um, a partnered clothing swap around Halloween at our friend's house and we actually had top floor like feminine clothing, bottom floor masculine clothing and like there was someone brought like their uncle's old suits that were sitting in the house and no one brought anything else because they were like, I don't have any excess in my closet. Like I wear everything. Yeah. So it was really interesting to like hear that. All of our clothing swaps are open to anybody, but we just don't have a lot was, of. Yeah, more was that a pleasant surprise to you that it's like, oh, guy, guys have less in their closets. I'm not good, surprised. Good. I'm or not. just aren't looking to shop and bring new pieces in as much oh, as like a feminine identifying person is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I just didn't, I, I was like, yeah, you don't, you don't hear that, so, like, you don't, like, whenever I think of clothing swap, yeah. like, whenever I see it, it is associated with more feminine. I was just like, is that a cult? I, I was wondering, like, is that a cultural thing? Is Would that, you like, go a to thing? one? Would I go to a clothing swap? Would you, like, get all your things together and be there at that time to do it? If I had enough stuff, I think I gave you most of it already. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it puts <laughs> me out of the it. equation. See? I already did it. See? I already did it. So I just, so I just, I was just really, really, really early. That's, that's, that's my <laughs> I, I wonder, this is just something that I'm thinking of right now. When I do hear the people coming to our clothing swaps, the huge thing that I hear from them is I want to make sure that this is going to be loved. Like what I'm giving up, I want to make sure that it's going to someone who's going to like style it properly and maybe for some men, they just don't really care where it goes. They're like, oh, I'm just going to donate it. So like, yeah, that that's, that's yeah. usually my line of thinking. I'm just going to drop like, eh. it off. Yeah. Or, or, or if I know the piece well enough, I'm like, I know I can make some money on this. Exactly. Like I, yeah. or, or I can trade it or I can trade it for something I've been wanting, but it's usually very specific. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, okay, I got this like Ralph Lauren jacket. I can probably trade it for another Ralph mm -hmm. Lauren piece or a piece from like yeah. Nautica or something. But it's very, it's usually more specific. It's not like, let me just go to a clothing swap and see what happens. It's, yeah. or, it's like, or it's I don't care what happens after. It's yeah. interesting that you say that because we, we're extending, we're extending our clothing collection to include more masculine styles. We're throwing a party at the end of the month. You should come Friday, <laughs> February 25th. Um, yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be a DJ in a bar, et cetera. But when we were 
we've been sourcing, putting this collect. This has been a few months in the making at this point. And we brought on two different consultants, two men to tell us about like men's shopping habits and all these things. And um, one of our, one of our consultants, Dion, he was telling us that when guys go out shopping, they are thinking of the resale value. Like yes. how much could I flip this for? Like, I'm going to use the, I'm going to take this for myself and wear it for a while, but like, what is the next step for it? Like, oh, if I can resell this and like, that's actually worth me buying it now. Oh, that's, yeah. that's, and that's, I don't yep. like, I didn't, before we started doing resale, I didn't, I did That's not how I shop. That's not how I shop yeah. Even now, that's not how I shop no, now. For myself, no. <laughs> like I, I, I had found a shirt, just personal story from that. Like I found a shirt that was, um, by a brand called neighborhood and I got it at like a clearance at Riccardi in Boston a few years back and, um, lost weight. So, uh, cause it was like a Japanese large. So I lost weight and it was like too big on me. And I couldn't really repurpose it, so I sold it on Grilled, and I, I knew the retail price, and I just put like I put like an astronomical price thing, and like okay, then I then I'll clearance it down, and then somebody will like you know jump on it. I think within six hours, somebody jumped on the astronomical price, and wow. it paid it paid for my plane tickets to and from Vegas at the time. Wow! Like, so it's just like yeah, that is like I didn't think about that, but that is a very good point. Is that and that's not something that I necessarily see on the feminine side, but like I I do know dudes who who will be like. Okay, I'm gonna buy this, but I know I can either like use this piece in a trade, or I can yeah. like flip it later on, and I know I'm gonna get some of my money. So it's like it's the idea of the investment piece, but like yeah. in a very weird way. Not the investment piece I'm gonna hand down or keep yeah. my closet, yeah. but like investment. Like, oh, I'm actually gonna make money on yep. this. And it's funny that you said that because Dion told us like months ago that that is his thinking, and yeah. I was like, is that really how men shop? Yeah. And then you just I can't speak for everybody, but like I, I mean, I'm I'm definitely yeah. part of that. Like as far as that line of thinking goes, yeah. yeah so well, it was Dion a, knows me well yeah. enough, yeah. I guess. And well, that's what he knows you, and he knows a lot of. We, because we did, we like really narrowed down the market too. Because we we're like, who would be coming in here? Yeah. Like, what men are coming in here to shop? People come, men coming in with their girlfriends, because mm-hmm. that's the most most of the men that come in here are coming in for their girlfriend shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, and then men that are into fashion, and men that are into buying like stylish fashion, and those men usually are mm-hmm. looking to resell it. Yeah. So yeah. it was really interesting to kind of break down the market. Mm-hmm. And learning of, so much. Speaking <laughs> of people that you learned from and helped you, who is Brie Roche Lilliet? Yes. Mm-hmm. Brie is our partner for our clothing swaps. Yeah. Um, and she's also a partner of ours who sells. She has her own vintage business. Uh, um, out in Brooklyn, right? Out of Brooklyn. She was somebody we met who also just moved to Providence mm-hmm. right when we were starting. Um, and we just became friends with her. And she has a great vintage style. She's like very into vintage pieces. So we also sell her um, Siren and Saint vintage pieces here. Yeah. She was the third woman who came in toward the space with us. And Danielle and I were like, we're hungry. We're going for it. And she was like, I'll help. I just moved here. I just oh, met you. Yeah, She was like, I just moved here. I just met you. I'll help you guys. But I'm not yes. signing a lease. She, I feel like we have a big like behind the Smart scenes girl. team of Renaissance women who are just like our friends yeah. who just also love this lifestyle and love secondhand, mm-hmm. love vintage. Um, and Bree's one of those people who runs our clothing swaps, does her own vintage business. And she also writes blogs for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she and her husband, that's my dog, Harold, if you heard that. <laughs> He's feeling really left out. <laughs> I mean, we, we've had cats interrupt the show before, so now that having a dog, we're just evening it out. <laughs> um, but Brie and her husband, Zeus, they have helped us. They've literally they've done they've done so much for us and they've also for like different parties that they've had they put together these amazing like spreads of meat and cheeses and yeah if you need a cheese board yeah hit them up hit them up um but they've in any possible way that you can collaborate and help us out they've done everything with us yeah so you both started this 
um, the spot in August. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you were even mentioning earlier, like, I think it was maybe like what, six months later, like you made the money back and started turning a profit, mm-hmm. which it's phenomenal. That's amazing. Like, you know, that, I don't want to say like that's that normally that, that you're an outlier, but like that's not like the everyday. No. Yeah. Um, also, I feel like when you look at our space, you think that it may have cost a lot more for us to get this up and running than it actually did. But we're both very scrappy. We're very scrappy. <laughs> we're, and, and, so I wanted to ask, like, what do you think contributed to like almost like a meteoric rise? Oh. Like so quickly. <laughs> Because I'm, I'm looking at the site, I'm looking at like the, even even like the social medias and like how many fans you have, and the fact that like and then when I read like oh they were able to turn on a profit in six months like that's it, I don't care what industry you're in like the fact that you were able to do that and your first events were selling out too so like yeah. that's so not even just the money aspect but like no, the social I, community aspect and yeah. like that currency no, I think a lot of people just quickly won- too. I think we hit the perfect time again yeah. in the pandemic of people were coming out for the like end of summer. It was right when everyone, like there wasn't as many COVID restrictions and a lot of people were just in their houses for the past year and a half looking for some type of like community close mm-hmm. to home. And that's what we've heard. A lot of people that come to our events, a lot of people come by themselves, which I love. Like I love doing stuff mm-hmm. by myself, but I, I know it's really hard for a lot of people. And a lot of people are like, I've seen your community. I have wanted to make new friends. I bought this ticket to come here and meet new people, which I'm like, that's wonderful. And they continue coming back because yeah. we have such wonderful times together. Yeah. And I think for us, we're offering a lot more than just sales um through the nest i still offer professional organizing services Mm -hmm. so i'll work with people one-on-one to do that um we offer workshops and events and through that i think the community feels that they have a part in this as well like they Mm -hmm. are a part of this um which is amazing because something that we felt was like a mantra of ours while we were starting this was collaboration over competition there's so many people in the industry and like i said before we're not we're not the ones who first started reselling for the first time but i think we opened our doors and wanted everyone to be a part of it and everyone Mm -hmm. to be able to showcase their skill or their work through the space it's not just about us Us, it's about the long-term vision and what we're trying to accomplish, which is more sustainable shopping, connecting with community, circulate, keep things trading and circulating within the community. And then ultimately just like consuming less and more conscious consumerism. Yep. And, you know, speaking of that, the, the events, because I've seen some of the other events, like you've had a comedy night. You've had, um, uh, workshops you've had I think tonight there's gonna be like an oyster shucking night yeah, yeah. okay oyster <laughs> shucking and vintage like you know clothing or like vintage housewares would not be something I would put together nor yeah. would I put in uh you know stand-up comedy night like I would not think like oh hey where are you playing oh I'm playing at this clothing store and it's like what what <laughs> yeah what do you what do you mean you're playing at uh, you yeah. know why aren't you at a comedy club so, Every single comedy show, someone yeah. makes some comment about how they're in this like weird thrift store next to a trailer park. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like the beginning of a bit, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, We're setting them up. Also, the, the naked women on the walls, yeah, too. It, it, it's a good backdrop. If like put a mic in front of that, yeah, you're that, like, here you go, the here you go. Yeah. Um, so why like the like there are certain events that I saw on the calendar that I was like, okay, that makes that makes sense. But then there are ones yeah. that are like completely out of left field. Um, how do you like tile? Like, what makes you want to do these like le- like you know yeah. left field or like not really adjacent to fashion events? And how do you tie them all together? Is yeah. it just uh, uh, you know you were saying before uh, it's stuff I would want to go? Is it just purely that, or mm-hmm. is it like other things? Like, or people like you know it'd be funny, or do people come with you with random yeah. ideas and you're like, oh, let's try it out? I th- 
the comedy show is just great exposure for us because it's people who wouldn't necessarily find us on their own who are now aware that we exist. Yeah. And we also have this huge, big, beautiful space that we want to share it with people. So yeah. that was kind of like a no-brainer with the One comedy show. One of the show. things with all of our new events I always think back to, it's like always thinking back to your mission, is yes, we sell secondhand and vintage, but the next like sustainable thing is keeping things in the community mm-hmm. and uplifting your local community. So with the Oyster Shucking um, event tonight, like we're partnered with a local small business who is a seafood um, shop in... In Bristol. Bristol. But it's like, that goes with our mission of exposing others local small businesses so that people can shop with them and be a part of their community rather than going to some big corporate um business yeah so with like the comedy shows as well all those we're very into uplifting artists and makers and i'm like comedians are artists like they're all local why not give them a space here to be able to reach a local community is that why you you decide to do workshops as well and can you talk about like some of the workshops and how those tie in the workshops are pushing more of our education Mm -hmm. so our biggest thing i think about everything else is educating people um and that's what we do I think your I think your dog agrees. Oh, yes. Harold you, is Harold. so sad over there, feeling <laughs> left out. <laughs> Sorry, um, Betty. <laughs> we like to educate people on sustainability, um, and kind of bringing people back to their craft. Our first workshop we ever did was a resin, like make your own earring, like make your own a resin, resin pour yeah. workshop. Um, just because a friend of ours was doing that, and we were like, why not try it? And we found a lot of people that came after we're just like, I feel like I'm kind of like reverting back to my childhood. I feel like happy. I was able to do things with my hands after working on a computer all day. Like it wasn't something I'm used to normally doing. And now I have this new skill. Yeah. So we're very into helping people like build up skills they've always wanted to do to be able to make things on their own, like patch their own clothing, learn how to knit and learn how to create new things on their own rather than going somewhere and buying it unsustainably. Yeah, curiosity and also feeling empowered to figure out how to do it yourself mm-hmm. instead of paying yeah. a big And that goes back to yeah. our push of like slow fashion and slow things. It might not give you that instant gratification of having it, but you did it yourself and you're able to say, I patched this hole in my jeans because yeah. I learned how to and now I get to wear them every day and feel proud of yeah. that. One thing I loved after our resin workshop too, some of the feedback is this one girl was like, I almost didn't come because I was feeling so stressed out from my day and I just like didn't even want to go out or do anything. But I showed up and I completely like checked out, forgot what I was stressed out about, connected with my creativity, felt like a child again, like just really got out of her own head in her own way and was able to like let go and relax. And, um, mm-hmm. I, I loved the hearing that. Yep. <laughs> and another thing I've noticed, cause you, you're doing all these events, you're doing these workshops and we have this like very, very curated showroom here. But if you look at the door, when you come in, it says appointment only. Yeah. Was that an idea from the get go? Like, Hey, we're going to be appointment only. We're not going to have the shop just open on certain days yeah. or it's like, not, it's not going to be event oriented. Why that decision is that going to change down the road or yeah yeah <laughs> we so originally like this goes back to our storage space like mm-hmm. idea of we were going to have our own physical space it was going to be kind of like a showroom storage room where mm-hmm. we'd be able to take pictures and sell most things online so originally this was going to be like our workspace of selling things online and then 
we were like, let's hold events. So it would be buy appointment only shopping, uh, open for events, and then buy things online. Mm -hmm. Um, Slowly that turned into being open every Monday evening. Um, Just because of our schedules, we were still like, we just opened the business. We were still trying to figure out like what worked for just like Mm -hmm. all of our backend operations and when we can be open as a store. Because Charlotte and I are pretty much the only full-time employees. We have some interns, but like when we're here and open, like, and we're here every day and when we're open, we're here. Um, But we had a big pull from the community to be like, we want you guys open more. So now we're open every weekend. We're trying to be open more. more. We are physically open more. Um, Yeah. And I think that's what's so cool about small business and being the owners as well as we can try things out. And if it doesn't stick, then we can just shift and adjust, but very much like our hours and us progressing to be open physically more just for like public open shopping hours. Um, is really just a testament to like how quickly the nest came together. Like we really were conceptualizing it as we were building it and we opened in like three months from signing our lease. And so we've just been like shifting and adjusting and, um, yeah. It's really, it's really exciting. <laughs> One thing we, we wanted to talk about, like our e-commerce site, we launched that right after the new, right in the new year. So, I was going to say, took the words out of my mouth, like, because you had that in mind, but was yes. it happening concurrently or was that launched after the fact? And we what was that always like? knew we were, we were always going to do, do it. E-commerce. That was always there. We actually expedited the process because so many people were like, we want to shop online. And we, you were able to shop me and Charlotte's individual brands online before we started The Nest. So we shut that down. And I think a lot of like our customers were like, why can't we shop with you anymore? We were so focused on opening this physical space. Um, but we expedited the, uh, the, the e-commerce website by three months, mm-hmm. I think. Got it done pretty much closed down over the holidays and we both went home for the holidays but we Pumped were work- we were website. just working on yeah. the website the whole time from our respective places yeah. and there's still a lot of products bound uh, and correct me it's, if I'm wrong I don't think it's every no, product no, in here oh my god it'd be take forever we people so much more in store how, than we do every online. item in here is individual yeah. so like when you think of e-commerce sites for other stores like you're able to put in one description put 50 is your quantity and you're able to sell that yeah. every, we have to do each individual yeah product and you come up with the copy and description for each and yes. product yeah so that's and that's something i think this week was the first time we looked at each other we're like whoa we got down like a lo- just like we this feels good like our operations of being able to put things on a website it went so smoothly this yeah. week like let's do it again next week we've been doing a lot of trial and error on it's it it's been a lot of learning and growing for both of us and i feel that we're getting to a place yes. where we know what we have to do yes. where at first we knew we wanted to launch e-commerce because especially in the pandemic what we learned is we there needs to be a change channel for us to be able to make money even if we can't be physically open Mm -hmm. so e-commerce was always something we wanted to do and it's like you said fashion's 24 7 yeah yeah um and and for small business it's like you need to make money to stay open and so uh when we first opened we were thinking of doing like in tandem launching e-commerce and opening our physical store but one that's just so much work for it to all happen together and we also felt like why would we be putting so much effort in the design of building out this beautiful like in-person experience for people to then just give them an option to go online. So we wanted to push out e-commerce for a little bit. We wanted to create a community first. We wanted to create a community first. We wanted people, we wanted there to be a reason for them to visit us in person before we give them an avenue to visit us online. Yeah, which has worked 
wonderfully. Were you doing the e-commerce yourselves? And are you still doing it yourself? Yes. It's as a, as everything, like everything that you see okay. is us. It, we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I brought e-commerce up because a lot of people are always like, why aren't you open more? Like, what are you doing? Like, we'll, people will be like, I um, will come on the weekend unless like I can make an appointment during the week if you're there. And I'm sure like, we're here all the time. We're working on sourcing things and cleaning things. Yeah. Like right after I get off this podcast, I'm going to go clean a chair for a photo yeah. shoot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also uploading things online. We're taking the pictures. Yeah. So that's yeah. our big thing of like, do we open and Not all the pictures, push. Renee. I don't want Renee oh, to hear oh, that. Not no. all the pictures. No. <laughs> <laughs> we work with a photographer who's amazing. She does all of our like editorial photo shoots and she's yeah. so talented. So talented. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of work. And I think uh, it's funny to talk about this with friends. We have friends locally who are small business owners as well. And I think when you see anything on the front end, whether it be a website or just social media in general, your social media presence, I don't think the viewer really understands how much time goes into actually executing and delivering that. It's not just like we snapped a picture and we uploaded it. There's like so much that goes into everything. Um, And so we're finally at a place where we have three interns that we've onboarded and we're really establishing their roles and what they're going to do. And so we're currently training one of our interns to be able to run the store. Um, and so we can start hopefully being open more physically and then also and taking some days off and then taking some days off as well for me, I'm like more work. <laughs> and besides the e-commerce, the events and the store itself, are there other parts of the business that maybe people don't know about that generate revenue? Like, do you source for other people? Do you, are you like personal stylists for anybody or anything like so that? So we Two rent, yes. yeah. we so rent, we rent the, space. the space for, you can rent, um, oh, the and, and the pop-ups. So like if you have, yes your own thing you can do a pop-up yeah here you can pop up here on the weekends while we're open and sell your own things mm-hmm. um we rent our space for photo shoots video shoots um so we have people come in and they are able to use the nest and all of our inventory we rent our clothing to photographers mm-hmm. and stylists um as well we originally when we started we put one of our services as like being stylists mm-hmm. um and we haven't really gotten to that point yet because i think we've just been focusing on all these other avenues but we have yeah photographers and people come in here a lot that are like we would we will use these yeah. other avenues did you have those ideas in mind or would people come to you and be like hey i'd like to shoot a thing here it's like oh that's a way i can make money that was something that we had talked about really early on because we again we're talking originally this was just going to be like a, a studio space and a storage unit and so we're like how else could we make money off of the space and so renting it out to other people was an idea we're on, we're on peer space it's like a uh hourly sort of like an airbnb but for hourly rentals instead of like night like per gotcha. night rentals so we're on peer space you can rent our space oh my god harold is so sad no harold's <laughs> advertising that the Herald is so usually sad. Yes. <laughs> um oh my god he's crying um yeah so we're on peer space you can rent uh you can rent out the nest for your own like photo the dog's shoot fine whatnot. everybody by the, the way in fine. case you're wondering like the dog is just oh, he just wants attention no yeah. he just he's a prince yeah he just wants attention <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> so other revenue streams and other ideas. Yes. You talk about how you were on um, peer space and how you had other ways of making money from the space. Yes, we talk about rentals. So yeah. we rent the space, and then the other one is um, um, Charlotte's professional organizing. Yes. Yep. So we offer professional. <laughs> oh gosh! Now Harold's wreaking havoc over here. Last time we had a cat. Now we got a dog. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I'm a professional organizer, and that is something that we also offer through The Nest is professional organizing. And I think that's something that people don't know that we offer or see that is happening. Um, 
we should we we're we we're working on marketing it more there's a whole marketing strategy and stuff um but <laughs> behind, the scenes. behind the scenes um but yeah so i i would say front front facing people just see that we do events and um sell secondhand but then we also do space rentals here at the nest and i also offer professional organizing services and decluttering mm. yeah and so one thing i've noticed that you've both have been saying this this entire time um and i definitely want to ask about is uh this fact that you're very community oriented, right? Mm -hmm. And you're talking about the events and like the people you work with. And now you've got interns and even like looking at the website, there's like a huge team of like people you source with that you work yeah. with. Um, Our collective. Our so collective. can you go through how you built up the collective? Like how you built up that community? Were you reaching out to people? Were people reaching out to you? And is there like a criteria of like, you know, or like just mental notes you take of like, yeah, this is the qualities we need in an intern, or these are the qualities we need as far as a local partner to work with. These are the qualities we need as somebody who works with us when it comes to sourcing. Yeah. Or even like the, what is it, the consultants you work with for like the yeah. menswear part. Mm -hmm. We have been so lucky that everything that we have needed, like for our partnered seamstress um, or any of our like consult consultants Vendors, that have come yeah. through, they have walked through our door mm -hmm. after seeing us on social media or hearing about us and being like, I want to be a part of this community. And like that, the first thing, just like showing up and being here is such a, like, we take note of it. I'm mm -hmm. like, for you to take time out of your day to come in and talk with us about what we're doing, um, that's already kind of like a first step into like creating relationship with somebody. Um, and we just have a lot of conversations with anyone. Um, I think on like the operations side of that, it is also making sure that those relationships of the collective like are under a contract. That's mm -hmm. like, once we get to a point as that, we know what we want to do. That was going to be my next question. Was like, like you try to rent up contracts yeah. and like, and, uh, we do a lot we're of responsible for this, yep. they're responsible for that. Is yeah. And I've learned that that's like the best way. Cause it's like, it holds everyone accountable of what it's just in writing. Done. That's it. It's mm -hmm. like, exactly. refer to the contract. And if yeah. anything goes down, you're just like, well, that's what the contract says. Yep. So yeah, <laughs> Do you make those yourself or do you have like a lawyer you work with? We or? make them. We, make okay. them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. we have templates and then we just update them. I remember over the summer we had to write our very first contract and we were sitting over, I don't think we actually had this sectional yet, but we were sitting over here and we were just sitting on the computer and we we're like, I think this sounds good. And I think that sounds legit. Like, <laughs> like one thing that we learned opening up this space is most of it is just made up. It really when is. When you start your own business, yeah. like I feel like a lot of people like you do this, you do this, you do that, you do that, and then you do that, and then you open, and then you yeah. sell stuff. And it's like it's not like that at all, which is so funny. Like there is certain things you have to do, but like a lot of it you just have to make up out of nothing yeah. and just complete it and get it done. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because like what are the things – because you're talking about like, oh, we do the website. Like we, we have to work on our marketing and do our own marketing. What are the things that maybe – Maybe you don't want people to see, who knows, but like, what are the things that people don't see that are happening in the background business-wise, like making contracts, like, um, you know, how you find and source items again, cause it's mm -hmm. not this, like you will do a through Z and then make, you know, then it's like, it's like step one, find this step two, step three profit. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not like the South park underpants gnomes where it's just like mm -hmm. magically you get profit. It's not, and it's not like a step-by-step -step system. Yeah. Um, what are the things that happen behind the scenes that maybe you feel like people don't know about that would make, like, if they did, they'd be like, oh, that'd be a different perception. Like, wow, they're, they had to do all this craziness. I think it's just like a mundane stuff. I think, yeah. like, 
two but the days, mundane is probably helpful so that's why i'm asking it two days out of our week like if you come in here you'll probably sitting see me sitting staring at a computer screen all day and it's do it like it's doing accounting and um it's balancing our books and it's writing grants um one of the big things i do on a monthly basis is um we have to pay out we have some consigners here so at the end of the month you have to run through all the sales and keep track of it keep track and you have to go through with what percentages and pay people out and make sure that it works with their contracts and you it's a lot a lot of like contracting yeah payouts and emails yeah yeah it's a lot of planning for the months ahead of what we're going to put out there when it comes to like coordinating events all the communication and like ideation that goes into that graphics for social media content shoots to be able to market these events that we're doing um going out there sourcing all these items making sure that we have new product coming in yeah. like people will want to keep shopping with us filling empty holes actually pricing skewing doing the research to put that out there i was gonna say um, yeah like finding gaps within the business like mm-hmm. it probably took you some time to figure out that like oh more masculine clothing was a gap and it's like yeah. formulating the plan on how you're going to attack that Harold come here oh god <laughs> <laughs> he's not allowed on the furniture he can be on the furniture for today <laughs> just lie down just yes a lot <laughs> I think one thing too is all the events you see us. So I went to school for like event management, which is so funny because now that I'm like when you're in school learning that, like I'm I learn by like doing. So now that I'm doing all these events, I'm like okay, like now I understand this like what more we need sense to do. Now. Mm-hmm. It makes more sense, and I I think people don't understand how much work it takes to put on one event one and then event. also be present like there as a host for an event. Yeah. Um, We've gotten our events down to like when we first opened, we were spending a lot, a lot of, time. of time to do that. But we've gotten it to a point where now, like, we just drop our we drop our event schedule at the beginning of the month. We don't have to worry about pretty much marketing events anymore because our events pretty much sell out just from dropping that schedule, which has been a blessing. Like, thank yeah. you to our community for being there to help us do that. Yeah. Um, and also, our time spent has gone way, way, way down because it's just kind of regurgitating those events just with mm-hmm. a different topic or yeah. a different focus. Yeah. And what's been great too, when we first started, we put out, before we even, before our grand opening, we put out an initial call for collaboration because we had wanted to see if anyone would be open to collaborating with us. And there, we had such an overwhelming response that we, yeah, we had, we had to shut down that page (laughs) because so many people were reaching out to collaborate. We couldn't keep up with reading all of the applications and getting back to people. And so for us, it's just been so rewarding knowing that we didn't yeah we don't have to like be knocking down people's no. doors they people it's happened really organically it's happened organically. really or- really I was gonna say, organically. it doesn't seem like 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 oh like all right we gotta do x y and z to build the brand it was like the brand and the store and everything was building organically on yeah. their mm-hmm. own but i think that's the best type of brand is being just authentic yeah. and being yourself and that's what yeah i, I think for we us do. we're just like this is what we're trying what to we do anyone else mm-hmm. like this <laughs> <laughs> Being open. At times when we start a new business or a new project, we focus so much on what we think that business or project should be that we become closed off to new ideas and possibly even new revenue streams. Charlotte and Danielle originally thought the nest was going to be a booth, and then they were open to the idea of having a storage unit. 
Then after taking a tour of a space, they were open to having it being a full-on showroom. But things didn't stop there. They were open to collaboration over competition, to having events that don't exactly align with clothing, like oyster shucking and stand-up comedy nights. They were open to letting others use the space, and open to the idea of providing additional services like wardrobe organizing and tailoring. All of this has led to new revenue streams, new members joining the Nest community, and creative and financial success. So, be like Charlotte and Danielle, and be open. Be open to new ideas, be open to new ways of thinking, and be open to new possibilities. pain points do you have with the business currently that you're like, oh, I wish this would go away or I wish this would be better? Right now, I think is we, so we reinvested into e-commerce and it's the pain point right now is getting our e-commerce set up to a point that we can start doing more marketing and paid ads. And that's mm-hmm. like right now, I think every day our biggest conversation and like that pain point is like, what do we do next? Like, do we need to focus on more inventory? Do we need to focus on marketing? Do we have to bring somebody in that knows more about And how do you track all that marketing? stuff to even be able to find the gaps of what you need to be doing as well yeah yeah learning more about seo so that our website actually pops up in classes yeah we did a virtual workshop (laughs) about seo um one of my personal pain points is there is an alarm in the building that we have no control over that goes off oh, I saw the sporadically. Sign on the door. It's like, if I it made just goes that off, please sign. Don't freak out. Yes, I made that sign because I, D- Danielle, there'd be times where like she would come in and I have like a puss on my face and she's like, what's up? I was like, this, the alarm's going off again. She's like, I didn't even notice. Like it is such like a, a me, I have a vendetta against that alarm, but it's just, that is one of my biggest pain points. Um, <laughs> Things that we have no yes. control over. I think- Yes. <laughs> I think it's just, yeah. to me, I'm like really building up our e-commerce brand. And then also, obviously, we learn in the retail space, um, right after the holidays is the like lowest point of people shopping. Not mm-hmm. as many people shop right now because they just did all your shopping over the holidays. So we're kind of in that lull. And we're trying to figure, like, filling our time. is like, mm-hmm. what is the best things we can do now while our retail sales are going down to prepare for the summer when they're going to be yeah. up. And also I would think like just dealing with like rule changing and like, you know, we're in the time of COVID and like one week it's like mass mandates. The next week it's mm-hmm. not mass mm-hmm. mandates or it's like, Hey, for online sales, you have to collect taxes from the state that it's originating from yeah. and like all these other things. So like, um, are there's, is there other stuff like that that you like, were there business things or maybe it's even just like, Hey, we're going to make an LLC or an, or an incorporate where, where they're, business things that you ran into that you completely didn't expect you're like oh this this is the thing we have to deal with I think I had a pretty good just with my background and working with startups yeah. like I had a pretty good idea of like the framework of the things we're gonna have to run into mm-hmm. the the surprising thing I think is how things change or like there's one little thing that's different in that kind of like operations or like accounting that just like, like, I don't know how to do that. So it messes up actually completing that task and understanding like where to go to get help for that. And I would say Rhode Island has a great network of like mentors and advisors. The Rhode Island small business administration has been like such a resource growth lab is Mm -hmm. like consultants that we pay on an hourly basis if we need accounting help. Mm -hmm. Um, and, I'm very into like just using the connections you have and know to be able to talk with people about how to kind of fix those problems. Yeah. Yeah. And we still do it all ourselves, but at least having someone there and being like, 
this is kind of what you need to do. Now go do it. It just makes it feel better to actually go yeah. and do it. Streamlines yeah. things a bit. Yes. Yeah, totally. And I there's think a lot of trial and error. A lot of trial and error and a lot of learning for us because it's not just that we're making money through sales or just through events. There's all of these different channels, like revenue channels. And I think us figuring out how to like organize all of that, what is tax, what's not. The taxes are so yeah. hard. Like every day me and Charlie was like, what? Like what? We need like we mean? almost we need to like print out a sheet as like a reminder. <laughs> <laughs> what's tax? <laughs> Something I've noticed, um, like on the site is, uh, one of the first things I noticed when I looked at it was like, Hey, we have this collection of pieces sh- and it would have a theme and it's like shop the drop now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something that I've seen when it comes to like new clothes or certain brands or even from like the, the streetwear space of like the drop system, like, all right, mm-hmm. we have drop and then like collections, but you don't necessarily think of, and like, I think. Maybe not the first, but you're one of, one of like the first place I've seen when it comes to vi- like vintage thrift secondhand, where you're presenting things as a cohesive collection, not every item, but certain items, and like kind of giving those items like a cohesive backstory and things like that. Mm-hmm. And again, I've seen these other spaces like Grailed and others. It, was that like was that an influence from like other parts of the fashion industry? Because I think that's pretty unique and. You know, what other parts of the industry are on your radar? Like, you know, eventually menswear, mm-hmm. like are things like sneakers and streetwear on your radar? Like, do, mm-hmm. Or do you just like see other things going on? It's like, oh, like we can incorporate that somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, with the drop, so going back to like Charlotte's professional organizing, one of the like principles is giving everything in your space a personality, a life, and a story. And that's something we've wanted to share through like what we're selling. Like we want people, if you come into the store and you ask about certain things, we will tell you as much as we know about it of where things come from. Mm -hmm. We have pieces in here that have come out of the studio of the Gerber baby, like illustrator. And we can tell you all about that. And then you can bring that into your home. Um, And I think that's what the drops as well. It's also like marketing. We see what people like and know we just did a euphoria drop because it's, Personally, me and Charlotte and a lot of our people in our community, that's what they're talking about and that's what they love. Why not theme something that we have in the store to be able to be like, oh, this is what we would wear if we were in Euphoria. Yeah. (laughs) I love that Euphoria drop too because a lot of that style feels very fast Mm -hmm. fashion-y. And so for us to be able to curate curate a collection of secondhand and like upcycled pieces that could fit that general aesthetic, that was really fun for us. Um, But yeah, what do Danielle was saying in in professional organizing through the KonMari method, it really is all about seeing your personal belongings as more as than just this inanimate object. It has a it has a soul. There is like a mutual relationship between you and it. It is giving something to you just as much as you are like holding it and keeping it. Like it is clothing is like protecting you from the elements and expressing your style. And so when you learn the backstory and see it more as this, this disposable item that's in your life for just as long as you want it to be. And you start respecting it a little bit more. Um, that's where I think we differentiate ourselves a little mm-hmm. bit more. It's not just disposable. It's like something that was manufactured for a purpose. Um, and you should treat it. Mm-hmm. You should take care of it. You should try to make it last as long as you possibly can. Um, and then be thoughtful in the way that you're discarding mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And in terms of like going into other like streetwear, going into sneakers or whatever else. Yeah. Like do you go out and research like other areas of the fashion world or 
or like are certain things on your radar or at this, not? I mean, they're on our radar at this point. It's, I think, things that are coming to us. So like with the gotcha. menswear, like it was like we saw an opportunity there because mm-hmm. so many people said that they wanted that from us. Mm-hmm. So we moved into that. Um, there probably will be at some point other like avenues that one of us is going to come to and be like, we see a lot of opportunity. I see a lot of opportunity. I don't know off the yeah. top of my head right now what I know. that could not be. Not saying that we're doing this, but two times in this past week we've heard from people about secondhand children's clothes yeah and like, is that something that you would ever do and i was like well we haven't really thought about it and we <laughs> didn't know if we had a market for it but now two people in the same week and we started research we did yeah. start researching on it and there's not a lot of like resources for people to do secondhand children's clothes and children's items um even though that's a huge like um, investment a lot of people have. Yeah, in their it's life. a huge investment for something that your kid's going to fit into for not that long. Um, but yeah, so I think that's what's so great about being a small business and us too at the helm as well is if there is an opportunity that presents presents itself or a market that we think there's an opportunity in, like we can we can just go for go it. For it. <laughs> Speaking of, um, you know, when it comes to fashion whether it's fast fashion, whether it's luxury, right? Styles. And because it's very like, I want it now styles. And like, we're not, we're not even on trends. Now we're on micro trends. Does that ever concern you? Has that ever been a pain point for you? Like, like you're talking about like, Hey, we did the euphoria collection because like, that's what's being talked about right now. But at some point that show won't be talked about. So it, do you ever worry about that? Or is it because you're a small business and you're nimble and because your products are diversified or is it because you're trying to get a specific aesthetic that, so yeah, yeah, does that ever come up as like a concern? I don't think so because I think our whole business model is to push back at those trends and mm-hmm. micro trends because it goes back to authenticity that we're trying to push, at, not push, but just like trying to help people reach of wear what makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. And we have all these options of things that we think is stylish. Um, and we like if you go through our clothes, like it's it, it ranges from mm-hmm. like way different types of styles. Um, so we're yes, there's things like Charlotte and I will be like, this is trending right now. This is what we love, but that's not something we want to push on you. We just want to let you know that we think that it's cool and we think that it looks good and that's what we're wearing if you decide to or not wear it do that but we want people to buy and wear things that make them feel good because that's trendy and also educating people and exposing that one micro trends is just a marketing tactic from these fashion companies trying to get you to buy more because a micro trend goes out of season goes out of style in like two to three months and also Fashion, there's a history to fashion. It's been around for years, and some of the trends that you're seeing today was actually invented years ago, if not centuries ago. Like things do repeat, like history repeats mm-hmm. itself, fashion trends. recycles. So the trends that you're seeing today, you can accomplish that and find it from secondhand items. It doesn't need to be brand new to be in style necessarily or to be on trend. So, one thing I've noticed. And I don't know if you agree or disagree or if you're seeing the same thing is that secondhand, I, and I'm again, I'm coming from more of like streetwear, sneakers, even like hype space. But then there's like sites like Grailed, um, it's more on the guy's end of things or more on the masculine mm-hmm. side of things. But like Grailed where, um, you know, you can go find like, you know, mall brands, but you can go find high end brands. And Grailed is a multi-million dollar company. You have StockX, multi-million, Goat. Uh, which just got bought. I think the group that owns Foot Locker like bought mm. goats. So like the, the either you know flipping clothes or like selling secondhand has now become 
Mm-hmm. Like it's it's become multi million dollar. You know, just sites like Depop. Um, mm-hmm. I saw Etsy with like uh, I, I never thought I would see commercials for Etsy and not just like hey we're Etsy, but like these like slick like ads you could see on TV for Etsy. I never thought I'd see that. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like, and now th- some of the brands are taking notice. Where I think I forgot what luxury brand is now doing like a they're selling their sample stuff or they're doing a buyback program. I remember, I remember APC with their denim would like buy an old pair. I don't know if they're still doing this. They would buy an old pair of denim from you, but then they'd flip it for $500 mm-hmm. and give, and like you get a dis not even a free new pair, a discounted new pair. And I'm like, well, I just keep the old pair since you're going to flip it for, for money anyway, you know? Um, and now you have, you have sites like the real real. I've yeah. seen like, you know, things, things like that. And like, you know, eBay is getting into the sneaker auth- auth- authentication game and they mm-hmm. put money into that. Um, do you think that that's good bad do you think it's going to go in a certain direction because i'm also seeing like some of these bigger brands going after resales like like on some weird copyright infringement laws but like the way they pick who they go after there's not mm-hmm. much of a rhyme or reason or mm-hmm. going after clothing customizers saying like you don't have the right but again they go after certain people so apparently at some point these bigger brands whether they're fast fashion luxury whatever figured out and i think maybe you're going to see more of it Oh, there's money in the flip now. Yeah. There's money in the resale. There's money in the thrift. Oh, we can just do it at, at scale. Mm-hmm. And we've already got the brand recognition. We can do that. Does that, is that, do you thinking yes? Or are you thinking, oh crap? Is it good, bad, and different? What are your thoughts on that? That like now it's like, it's become big business and with big business becomes eyeballs. Mm-hmm. I honestly think that if upcycling was taken on on like a larger more corporate scale that is a really positive thing Mm -hmm. I see that a lot of the toxicity of the industry in general is the over production there's just so much new material being produced every single year that if companies are then slashing the new production and then investing more into upcycling and remaking and redoing products that were like returned to them, like making it new again or making it something different. The reuse of material, especially if that was done on a corporate level, I see that as a really positive thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe it'll run us out of business, but (laughs) it's a step in the right direction. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, I like Charlotte and I is in the nest personal mission, like a business mission is to educate people on how to live more sustainably so that we can stop impacting the earth in such Mm -hmm. a a bad way as we have. So if these big companies are taking that over again, I would be happy as well because that's kind of like we've been, we, I, we'd have some part moving these big companies into focusing Mm -hmm. on something that actually matters Mm -hmm. that is going to impact everybody and the earth in general. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you see what a big company does that as like lip service or it's like, well, now it's just because it's trendy? Yeah. Like, do you, like, do you also, like, is, does that, like, maybe not like the styles that you do become trendy, but the idea of like, because like secondhand is having its moment. Yes. Like, I, I've never seen more people selling old t-shirts and stuff on Depop and yeah. like, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. not saying that they're not doing it for the secondhand. Maybe they really are into that thing, but they you have to, you have to think, all right, just from a sheer numbers perspective, all these new people onboarding, they're just like, hey, it's a hustle. Like, it's yeah. a hustle to make money. Does that ever concern you that at some point, you know, it may drop off? And then, like, these companies that are like, oh, we're getting into it. And like, that's nah, nah, it's back to business as normal. They, they just wanted to ride the wave. Or that people are, like, riding the wave, whether it's buying or selling, because, like, it's hip and it's trendy right now to do that. Like, whereas 
may fall out of favor again. I think it is hip and trendy, but it's also one of those, like, it's a trend where, like, I don't think we're going to revert no. back. I think gotcha, we can only okay. build up at yeah. this point because of the, like, because of the impact of selling secondhand yeah. and shopping and buying secondhand. Yeah. The, the example that I like to use um, is the idea of, like, organic grocery shopping and eating organically. Ten years ago, there weren't even organic sections in the grocery store, but then that documentary Food Inc. came out and everyone saw sort of a peek behind the curtain of how the food is actually made and delivered to you, and they were shocked and disgusted. And I'm hoping, I think we're on the frontier of people realizing how horribly toxic the fashion industry is and wanting to be more intentional in, intentional about how they shop. And so all of these secondhand resellers are popping up around because it's the same, it's the same sort of thing. People are, it's the same sort of thing. It's, it's like we're an organic food section. Yeah. yeah. It's just like now being more aware of the toxicity of that specific industry and wanting to shift the way that you consume. Yeah. And now, look, all most grocery stores have organic sessions. Yeah. It's not a trend anymore, but it's been built into such a part yeah. of just everybody's part of lifestyle. Now. Yeah. yeah. Do you think it could get to a point because, like, like, when a trend or when people see a hustle, then they, you know, not a lot of people, but they see something that exploit where it's just like, oh, that, like, two years ago, you could get, like, I'll, I'll just throw a random item out. Like, this dress from this fashion maker, you know, two years ago was like 40, 50 bucks. But now that this is a trend, all like they're, you know, like anybody reselling, everybody doing vintage or thrift. Oh, now it's three, four hundred mm-hmm. and it's locking people out. Mm-hmm. And because you're so community focused, like, do you see, do you ever see that going on and go like, oh, cr- like, oh, how do we combat this? That's it. Not, and like, obviously you're not doing, but I'm like, well, yeah, I wonder yeah. like, if you ever see that, whether you've seen so. stuff it's online or stuff. It's funny how things become trendy yeah. and then don't. And then, and then it's gone. I, yeah. I don't, I don't know exactly how to answer that. I could give like an example of like, we've had some clothes in here that we price on the higher side because we have buyers that we know would pay that. Like that's the market right now. But a week later there could be an excess of that. And all of a sudden, like all of a sudden we're, we can't charge that much anymore. Mm-hmm. It moves so fast. So what you can charge, like what people will pay for trends. And that's something I think like I subconsciously watch is like what, when I first started reselling like wicker furniture, I could flip for, I could get for 60 bucks. I could flip it for $400 for a shelf. Now the four months later, like wickers out and you can't do that, but there's other things that you can focus on, but it's just knowing what, what people yeah. want to buy at that point. And it's, what I, what I think is crazy is like, if you want to go like buy, like, I don't know, like a, a vintage t-shirt from like X band, mm-hmm. um, it'll cost like 20, 30 times the reproduction vintage t-shirt mm-hmm. that you can get from like target for the same brand. Mm-hmm. So it's like, like, does that ever mess with you? Or you're just like, it's supposed to be this way, but then I, can you blame somebody who's just like, I just want this vintage Beastie Boys t-shirt and I don't want to pay like $300 and I can go to like brand X and yeah, yeah it's new and it's fast fashion, but I'll pay 10. Yeah. Okay. Like, I'd- cause like, I wonder if that's like, if that has to be like, like if I was in vintage, like, that would be like a weird, like conundrum. Like, yeah, how do you like, how, how do you like, like, is that a problem that can even be solved or is it just like, eh, it'll be a trend that'll go away and then the price will go up and down because it seems like the stock market almost Yeah, that you're yeah. just like seeing certain things rise and fall and you're like, oh, this is hot. They're like, oh crap. Yeah. All right. 
I mean, I think that will always sort of exist within vintage reselling in general. Um, things sort of like flex and go in and out of style, especially with TikTok and different trends. What makes people feel nostalgic is like constantly changing. Like I think mm-hmm. Hello Kitty had a moment where she came back. Yeah, like early and, like, 2000s. Poly Pockets, you could resell them. Yeah. yeah, it's all very nostalgic and it all, it does fly very quickly. Yes. Um, but I think that will never go away because we are constantly producing things. And so anything is technically vintage if it's over 20 years old. And so technically things that were manufactured in like 2002 are vintage now. And it's funny how things in 2002, like what was vintage then and like having a resurgence was 20 years. But so it's almost yeah. like a 20 year cycle, yeah. like 20 totally. to 30 year cycle, which is interesting. Yeah. Totally. I've been seeing a lot of content online of like, Target and Walmart, like really leaning into like the Y two K style. Yeah. Like, yes, <laughs> yeah, I've been seeing that. Um, but it's like produced yeah. now, so yeah. it looks like it's from twenty twenty two. Yeah, and to and to that point of you saying like things are priced high when they are in like that vintage demand it's just the difference of if you actually want the authentic original version or if you just want if you just want the look and then you can go buy it new Mm -hmm. like we have one of those hand chairs here we have an orange hand chair over there and they've been replicated a bunch of times over so you can go out and find it but the one that we have here is like real authentic from like what the 70s or 80s and so it's priced a little bit higher because it is the original Original version and i don't like i think a lot of people like even our friends Charlotte and I like we'll go shopping at fast fashion come back and be like I want to show you what I bought but like it's all I feel from, bad I feel bad <laughs> and we're like we are, we're not here to make you feel bad like you make your it's it's your life like you make your decisions you buy and support who you want to support from like yes it would be wonderful to be able to support like people locally or sustainable businesses or sustainable brands um and for example that hand chair like if somebody went and was like this is too expensive i'm gonna get a replica i'm like yes good for you but i know that there is somebody out there that respects original design and designers i met um i never really was in the arts and design industry i kind of fell into it when i was living here in providence um and our old landlord at my old job so he was just our landlord we were we were um decking out the whole interior of a co-working space and we were buying like chairs from Wayfair and um, tables just to fill it up and our old landlord comes and he goes these these chairs like these are knockoffs of Herman Miller and this was like I didn't know um, who that was at the time Um, but he's like these are knockoffs of Herman Miller and he like sat us down and he was like it's it's fine but he's like I want you girls like to live your life and know like somebody created this thing years ago made it this was their like property and now these people go make knockoffs and you're buying it like he's like just think about that like Mm. person or think about that like imagine if you made something and someone um knocked it off and made replicas like how would you feel yeah and that's always something I've put in the back of my mind I'm like yes maybe I can't afford certain things but like it feels good to be able to have something that is original like that you're putting the information you're putting the information out there and the options out there that somebody if if they want to do it it's not this crazy hunt and it's it's easier accessibility exactly but I would say it's the same if you go and try to find I don't know much about sneaker culture but if you go and buy the original version of those sneakers or like luxury handbags you were going to buy a chanel handbag like there are so many different knockoff options out oh, there yeah. if you just wanted the look and you wanted people to think that you're carrying a chanel handbag you could you can do it you could do it but for a lot of people they want the actual real thing and i think that's what that's what it comes down to what advice would you give to anybody who's been an entrepreneur and what advice would you wish you would have gotten when you started oh. this whole business journey out? Um, the advice I got, and this is actually something I knew, but I wish someone beat it into me harder, is being more organized 
like with like uh, administratively mm. like financially administratively like mm-hmm. just keeping up on like making sure like that your all your expenses have receipts for them and yeah. this and that because we I think that a lot of time spent is always like going back at the end of the month and trying to organize that all and be like I gotta find this I'm missing this where is that so I gotta like pull organize and have a process Organi- yeah. processes yeah. and writing everything down that's another thing I think I would tell people write everything you do down like if you even if you don't know it's a process that you're putting into place yet like write a little bullet point list of how mm-hmm. you're doing that because what happens if I can't come to work that day and Charlotte mm-hmm. has to do something and that's you due the today information to somebody else mm-hmm. exactly yeah. and it works great for when you have employees and interns too is you have everything written down so you can just give that handbook you can give that to them and not have to keep training people it saves yeah. so much time yeah advice <clears throat> i would say that if you're scared me too yes <laughs> it's really really scary so if you're like unsure of yourself and scared know that that is completely valid and most entrepreneurs are feeling that way so you're not alone in that also, whether you have a business partner, you're going to find a business partner or just having someone that you trust that you can sound ideas off of, that is so important. Mm-hmm. One of the hardest things of being an entrepreneur is that all of the decisions fall onto you. There's not a boss that you can just be like, okay, that's your problem. Like every yeah, you're little accountable thing, for everything. everything. There's a lot of decisions. There's so many decisions and it can be really overwhelming and you can get in your head and sometimes you're so close to it that it's hard to kind of take a step back. And so having a business partner, having Danielle has been amazing for that reason where mm-hmm. sometimes like I can be such a perfectionist and it's not good enough. And then Danielle takes a look at it. She's like that, babe, this is great. Just like, <laughs> we got other things stop. to do. Yeah. Yeah. Just stop. <laughs> so just having someone to bounce ideas off of, or just get like verification validation on a decision, just having someone that you trust that you can talk to is mm-hmm. really important. Mm-hmm. Why the name, the nest And what's in the future for The Nest? The Nest is, well, not only does it sound adorable and it rolls off the tongue really nicely, but this is also a place where you can come and nest for yourself in your own home. You can find pieces of furniture, homewares, decor, fashion to nest at home. And then also for us, we see ourselves as semi an incubator for small businesses, whether you want to host a workshop, an event here to showcase your business, or you want to vend with us and sell your wares. We sort of see ourselves as a jumping off point for these small businesses to grow their audience and grow their business. Yep. And also it worked out so well because we feel like we're in a little nest on the second floor looking over. Yeah. We're perched up looking over. Oh, he's trailer park. You can see the armory. And yeah, you can, you can see, see downtown. Yeah, no, you can, especially from a roof too. You can see everything. You can see the Capitol yep. building. What's 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 in store for the future of the nest? Oh. <laughs> um, I would say we want to do a lot more digital education. Um, definitely more TikToks and reels, but not just about like events here, but things that things about the fashion industry, things about sustainable living that might be a little bit shocking that you didn't know, like definitely pulling the curtain back a little bit and being a little bit more, Mm -hmm. um, upfront with that on our, on our digital platforms. More um, education. This is far out too, but we do hope to open an actual storefront at mm-hmm. some time um, soon. We use this. We're not obviously we're on the second floor. I think one thing we've learned is moving furniture is hard when you're on the second floor and don't have yeah. an elevator. Um, so <laughs> we would love to open a second location that is 
specifically for shopping yeah. for people to be able to access it when it's not just the weekend. Yeah. And giving us a shout out, every piece of furniture in here, we've moved up ourselves. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not just for the people, but also for your backs. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Not, not having yeah. future back problems. Exactly. Yeah. yeah gotcha. But we, we see one thing that we hear it, on, on different sides of the argument some people are like it was kind of hard to find you and we're like yeah it's like exclusive like if you know you <laughs> yeah. know but then on the other sense we want to have more, more we want to be more accessible we want a storefront where people who are just walking by might wander in so I was to say even though you're community based it seems like you want a bigger and bigger mm -hmm. and bigger yes day. yeah we're also um we put out a call for new pop-up collaborators so yes we have our events we have our vendors and now we're opening our saturdays and sundays for small businesses um that really sh sells makes sells any type of wear mm -hmm. um to come in on our open hours and be able to showcase for that day or that weekend mm -hmm. um those applications are still open they're going to be open for a while so if you'd love to do a pop-up here at the nest on the weekend we'd mm -hmm. love to have you yeah we're at the end and as always, at the end, uh, I give basically open mic, open time, whoever you want to shout out, whatever you want to promote, whatever is upcoming, hmm. whatever. Basically, open mic, say whatever you want to say to close us out. Um, I would say thank you to all of our collaborators, anyone who's vended, done a workshop, modeled for us helped in any way move things you. move things <laughs> we wouldn't be here without everybody so thank you um and also check out our event schedule we drop them on the first of every single month they tend to sell out really quickly like yes. danielle was saying earlier in the episode um we haven't even really had to be doing marketing for any of our events for them to sell out which has been really exciting so if you see something on the event schedule make sure you register asap so that you can come mm -hmm. um and come to our menswear party if yes. this is out i don't know if it's gonna be out before yeah um, if it's if it if it's out after come in and shop our menswear yeah <laughs> um yeah it's masculine style so we're excited that anyone who walks through the door can find something that fits their style um and we're throwing a really fun huge launch party the last friday of february to celebrate this launch and give people an opportunity to shop it um mm -hmm. firsthand as well before we drop it on our e-commerce yeah and we want to thank our community you're the reason we are here yeah. so thanks for keeping coming and coming back <laughs> yeah <laughs> well with that thank you both so much for you know coming on the show sharing your experience sharing just everything into the journey of the nest thank you so much for uh being willing to do this and uh till next time everybody thank you thank you <laughs> that was so fun and that's it for this episode of the creative capital show Thank you for listening, and a special thanks goes to this episode's guests, Charlotte Von Meister and Danielle Sturm. The Creative Capital Show is hosted, recorded, and produced by me, Jason Sylvia, with audio editing and mixing by Anthony Ferreira. You can listen to The Creative Capital Show over at our website, creativecapitalshow.com. We're also available on Anchor FM, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast hosting platforms. If you like the show, please subscribe. Helps the show out a lot. And be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, and YouTube. I hope you enjoyed the show, and until next time, keep on creating. <laughs>